Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. My husband's missing listening to us again, nearly crying because she's such a little cutie. I've gone through at the home of representative that I'm driving at to the hall, so yeah. they can't get the answers. How are the people going to get the answers? They know how hard I work, and to get nothing at the end of it is very, very hard. Join the conversation. Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the opinion line with P. According to Cork Bio and other eyewitness reports we had last night, there were no queues at Bank of Ireland ATMs in Cork, but, but there were signs were being erected very quickly that they were out of order. There were queues in Dublin and there were queues around the country and there was guards asking people just steady on a small bit here um, because there were big crowds queuing to get at the Bank of Ireland ATMs uh, last night when people thought that they were at been getting a thousand euro that they didn't have from the bank they thought they got a present of free money there's no such thing as free money but people thought they did get a present of a thousand euro in free money Bank of Ireland saying this morning that all that money that you took if it wasn't yours we'll have to take it back off you you'll be in debt to us even though it was our our mistake in the first place Ralph Regal Southern Correspondent of the Irish Independent Ralph good morning what happened last night yeah, it appears to have been a massive uh, technology failing, a massive IT glitch within the Bank of Ireland system. No, I'm actually a Bank of Ireland customer myself, PJ, and uh, I was working in Limerick yesterday and just tried to get onto the app and all I was getting was literally a white page on my phone. So I took no more notice of it, tried again later in the evening and got the same thing. I went to the Bank of Ireland page and of course there's a, 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 a note on the page itself warning that they're experiencing a serious IT issue and that there would be a notice when the app was back up working again. But what appears to have happened as a sidebar to the, the glitch was the fact that some customers who were able to get into the, the, the app were able to transfer money from their accounts mm. into a Revolut account, even though there may not have been the funds in their bank account to cover that transfer. And they were then able to get money from the Revolut account via ATMs. Now, where it appears that this happened or or the word spread like wildfire was in Dublin, Limerick, and in particular in Dundalk. Now, Gardaí did have to attend several ATMs in Dundalk because there were literally queues down the street around the corner for people uh, trying to avail of what many would have thought was Christmas come early. But of course, as you said, 
There's no such thing as free money. And what the bank are saying today is that anybody who withdrew, withdrew funds from their account, uh, those and the funds are obviously not in the account, the money involved will be debited to their account and they will be asked to repay it. Heard your colleague Charlie Weston on another programme this morning, Ralph, saying that it will put some people into overdraft territory and that carries hefty costs if you're not set up. Will the bank waive that given that it was their their mistake? Well, again, that's going to be a very interesting question because, of course, the scale of this issue is such that I think the central bank are now reviewing what precisely happened. Now, the bank are saying that the maximum transfers involved in the individual cases was 500 euros. But there are reports that some people claim that they were able to transfer a thousand euros out of their account, even though they didn't have the funds in their accounts to cover or to justify that transfer. So obviously, if some people end up in overdraft territory, it's going to be an issue about is there going to be interest applied? Are there going to be penalties applied? How exactly is it going to happen? Well, the bank have set up um, contact points for people who are now worried that they may be in debt or they may have difficulty in repaying this money and the bank will work with people, but they've not specified precisely what type of costs or penalties, if any, are going to be involved. And you're not a lawyer, Ralph, neither am I, but is there there some implication for you if you knowingly take money from a bank account that isn't yours? Well, I don't think, legally, I don't think there is, PJ, once it's repaid or once there's an agreement to repay it, because given the whole background here with the IT system, but ultimately... Uh, if a person knows they don't have the money in their account to justify a transfer or cover a transfer, then they are responsible for it. There's no way you can argue, look, it's a, it's the bank's IT problem, this money, I got it, therefore it's mine. It doesn't work like that. Uh, it's, it's going to be an issue, I think, for some people if they don't have ready access to the funds to cover these type of transfers. But again, my assumption is that given the IT glitch background to this, that the bank will put you know, generous repayment um, systems in place for people, maybe a direct debit over several months or whatever like that. Again, that's only a guess on my part. But I think it's a very serious issue because, I mean, the bank posted, um, I think that it was 1 billion yeah. um, euro half yearly profits last month. And of course, so much banking is done online now. And people want to be reassured that online banking, whether it's done on your laptop or whether it's done by the app on your phone, that it's absolutely cast iron, safe and secure. And this isn't just embarrassing for the Bank of Ireland, but I think it is going to very much raise questions about IT security around banking going forward. It also brings up the issue of the the growth of, of Revolut, that you can dump money into Revolut and spend it. That's perfectly legitimate, but you can do it in seconds and the money going to Revolut shouldn't have been going to Revolut. So what happens there? Yeah, again, they're very, very important questions, PJ, and I have no doubt that there's people, I think, within the central bank are going to be sitting down this morning and scratching their heads and going, how on earth could something like this have happened? And what do we do to make sure that it doesn't happen again? Now, I mean, in the scale of things, I mean, there have been enormous IT problems in other jurisdictions, and they have raised major issues about banking, and particular online banking security. And it's something that I think governments in particular take very, very seriously because so many financial transactions now are are happening online. 
and the implications of it, not just in terms of fraud, but in terms of ensuring that glitches like this don't happen in the future. I've no doubt that there's going to be an argument that an awful lot more money is going to have to be invested by banks in in their IT security systems and in these online operations Mm. to ensure that things like this don't happen again. Lastly, Ralph, at this very early stage, is there any question at all that this might have been done deliberately, that someone could have hacked into the bank and done this? Well, I can't rule it out, PJ, for the simple reason that we're still trying to figure out precisely what was involved in this. Certainly all the indications at this stage are that it was some type of accidental glitch within either the software systems or the hardware systems within the operation of the app that allowed this to happen. And again, we don't know. I mean, where everyone, I think, believes there's going to be a major investigation, not just by the Bank of Ireland into how precisely this happened, but also by the central bank. And I'm sure that other financial institutions as well will be asked to look at this to ensure that something similar doesn't happen with their systems. All right, Ralph, thank you, Ralph Regal, Southern Correspondent of the Irish Independent and Massive Technology Breakdown. Ralph's colleague Charlie Weston writing in the paper this morning. Huge queues at some ATMs. The bank have said we're aware there was a technical issue that meant some customers were able to withdraw or transfer funds above their normal their normal limits. If you knowingly take money, like let us imagine, for example, that my wages land on the given date that they do every month and I open up my app and there's an extra zero on the end of it. Hello, happy day. Now, if I run down around the corner and, and buy myself a lovely, sexy new car out of the cash that has landed in my bank account, it's not my cash. I know, I should know that's not my cash. So, <laughs> I'd end up having to give it back. But it was fun and games for a few hours until, and it, you know, according to Corpio this morning, it's, it's a certain recognition that we're a bit cute here in Cork. We're cuter than the Dubs, and we're cuter than Limerick, and we're cuter than Dundalk, because we realised, hang on a second now, should I get no doubt what, right? You take it, no, that wall, no, right? They'll take it back on you. Simple as that. See, the cockfell is very cute. Very cute. Yeah, the thing with knowingly, we just looked it up there briefly. Knowingly is the operative word. Uh, if you knowingly take money that isn't yours, that's the thing. Proving you knew would be would be a difficulty for the bank. But anything extra that was taken out last night popped into Revolut and taken out the wall or anything like that. The bank said this morning they'll take it back. They will be taking it back. 0818 96 96 96. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, focused solely on your hearing health for over 35 years. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Cork's 96 FM. Oldies and Irish on Cork's 96 FM is the big Sunday show on your radio. Turn it up and take it easy with the best music mix for your Sunday morning. Sunday morning. Welcome along to the program. Lovely to be with you on a Sunday morning. Oldies and Irish with Derry O'Callaghan. Sundays, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. With Cork Simon. Do you want to leave a legacy to the city you love? Find out more about leaving a gift in your will at CorkSimon.ie. Cork's 96 FM. Paul down to Three Little Pigs. Morning, Paul. Says he has a, a, an offer today. The Bank of Ireland sandwich special. 
Get one sandwich free. Pay for two tomorrow. Only while stocks last. Hurry, hurry, hurry. May affect your sandwich credit at a later date. Ha ha. Good man, Paul. Never misses an opportunity. One thing you might have done if you were able to get money out of the Bank of Ireland till or ATM last night that wasn't necessarily yours, you might have gone a night out because the cost of going out has soared. Now, my days of going out clubbing at the weekend, they're few and far between of late. But, Maureen, um, you've been looking into the cost. It's going up. It is, PJ, it is, yeah. So uh, we actually had a discussion, myself, uh, Ross, Lorraine and Bucks yesterday. We came up with a figure of €142 because we were kind of saying, oh, what about this, what about that? You know, we were all coming in with our own thoughts. So I was thinking, you know, like it starts, I suppose, for me with my tan. Mm. And like that's ever before you go on your night out. So like that's This is for a regular night out (laughs) at the weekend. (laughs) Regular night out, yeah. You you want a tan? Yeah, absolutely, PJ. And that's what Thursdays are for, tanning Thursdays. Uh, so if you're going out on the Saturday night and then if you're going into town you have to get your taxi or obviously if you can get public transport and being a bus or whatever it's it's a bit cheaper but we were looking at it from Ballincolleg a taxi into town is about 23 euro you know around 9 o'clock half 8 time and a taxi home it goes up a bit then when it's later about 30 euro home so 53 euro alone on your night out it goes to, to get the taxi and then it all depends as well on how you're going out obviously if you're going clubbing it's more just the drinks so it depends on what you drink uh, it could you know could affect the cost if you're drinking pints it probably might be cheaper than if you're drinking you know a spirit so or cocktails or cocktails or cocktails are 13 14 euro nearly in most places so barely, and barely a mouthful in them <laughs> This is it, this is it. And then if you're going into a club as well, most places have an entry fee. So you could be paying anywhere up to a tenner, uh, even more maybe to get into the club. So you're adding that on. And then, of course, what's the first thing you do when you're before you go home? You get your chips. Absolutely. And they're very important. Um, If you smoke or if you vape, you have to get those. Um, And then it depends as well on who you're out with. And, you know, if you're going into a round or if you're getting shots. Mm. You're not just going to get one for yourself. You're going to get a tray of them. So, and then your cloakroom, your two Can I go euro. Out with you next time. <laughs> Sounds like great fun. If you're paying, <laughs> if you're going to the cloakroom, then it's two euro. But it all adds up, you know. And then it just it just depends. As I say, if you're if you have to get the taxi home, um, that's going to cost you, you know. So there's like when you add it all up, you can see why you know the cost of clubbing crisis. It's been called. You can see why it's it's harder and harder to go out because you just know that if you go out, you probably will spend the money. So it's easier just to stay at home and not go. You know, the fear has been replaced by the horror as you wake up the following morning, right? And of course, all the things that you did with your phone, beep, 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 you're beeping away mad and the beep, beep. <laughs> and I'm a Bank of Ireland customer, so if I did it last night, I wouldn't have been able to see. <laughs> There'd be no carnage for a while. But um, but yeah, it, it just adds up. Like, And as you say, when you're tapping your phone as well, I often talk to people and they're saying, like, it doesn't even feel like you're spending your money because you're just like, beep, yeah. do you know, and yeah. it, it doesn't yeah, feel like, like it. You, you've, you've been one of these people who've come through the change from cash to just going with your phone as, as a young person going out. Like, is there a danger... You'll drop more money when you're tapping. 
Absolutely, it is so dangerous. Because, <laughs> like, at least if you walk in the door with like a hundred euro in your purse, and that's literally all you have, you can physically see it getting smaller. Whereas on the phone, like you're you're just tapping away half the time. I'd say you're all tap and hope for the best. But I don't know. It's <laughs> it's awful. Like, and we make jokes about it, but it's actually it's so bad. Yeah. So it is definitely even going to like pennies outside of a night out. It is it's dodgy because it's just so. It's literally at your fingertips. I'm this pennies. And, <laughs> and you're just not seeing it coming down. And then you, I sit down every so often and I'm like one eye closed trying to look at it. I'm like, I don't really want to know, but I need to know. How ma- so. Just how many fluffy socks did I buy? <laughs> and now the drawer won't even close. Like So it, it's just a ripple effect. So yeah, it's, mm. I can see though where the struggle is because it's just expensive. And then like if you, you know, we probably change the way in which we socialise as well. Like, yes. You know, if you go out for dinner like and then you're going for a few drinks and it just you know we'll see how where the night goes and you're like well yeah. <laughs> this is a dodgy move so yeah it's, like, it's expensive I'm a small bit older than you we're staying home more and we're bringing friends over is that happening in with younger people are they now saying right tonight we're going to go to Maureen's gaff next week we're going to go to somebody else's house and we're going to have our couple of drinks down the bar and then we'll go back to the house because it's cheaper well, it tends to happen the other way. You come first for the pre-drinks oh, and no. then... <laughs> there's no way out of this. <laughs> it tends to... Like, it's it's rare because, like, most of... Like, I live at home with my parents, you know. Um, and, like, obviously I have to respect that they're probably at home trying to relax on their Saturday night. So if I'm bringing a group in, you know, it's, like, you have to be, I suppose, respectful of that as well. Like, I don't, wouldn't have many friends who'd have their own houses to to kind of do, you know, mm. have have a night there. So I think for us for now, it's it's still going out in the town. Doing rounds. Like, it's, it. there's always one fella who goes to the toilet at just the right time. <laughs> right? There always was, and I'm sure there always will. Does it still happen? Um, I suppose, uh, I think people, the, the whole rounds thing doesn't tend to happen as much anymore. No. Or you might go into a round with one person, like if you walk in with your friend and you say, I'll get you a drink now and they get you a I drink would, after. Yeah, yeah. But I don't, I don't see as Three many... Three or more like, is around. Yeah, well, yeah. So I don't tend to see as many getting a full round for people because, like, it's unfortunate if, if they could be the designated driver and get caught for the round and you're only having Diet Coke for the night. Yeah. So I think... That's yeah. the thing. Like, if you're... Yeah, the, the, you see, if there is a desi, right? Yeah. And there's five or six people in a round, then desi doesn't buy a drink. No. That's my view always. Desi doesn't buy a drink. If desi's, you know, sort of sacrificing to drive, then, then, then they don't, you know? Um... But yeah, and, and if people go out, people who play sport together, teams, big gangs, Macronaferma groups, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, it's, it can get very, very pricey. Absolutely, it all adds up. And like, if you're doing this every weekend with your 142 euro, like it, it eats into your, you know, your savings and your, but then you say like, you don't want to not have fun either. So it's kind of like there was a report out yesterday about the, the numbers of, is it 25 to 30 year olds who are still living at home with their yeah, parents? And then, actually, yeah. yeah, and there was kind of, I was listening to a conversation about it and someone had messaged in saying, ah, but sure, they're off on their holidays and they're enjoying life while they have the luxury of living at home. And you're thinking, well, what do you want to do? Like make someone stay in every weekend, never go out just to save money. Like you have to enjoy yourself as yeah. well. well. There is a thing, you see, like, with young people living at, at home, they do that to save on renting an apartment or renting whatever. And yeah. that's understandable why they're trying to save up for, for buying their first home or maybe go travelling or whatever they, they want to do. Then they're out Friday and Saturday. 
dropping 143 quid and their parents are going come here now (laughs) (laughs) come here now while (laughs) you know yeah you're still at home aren't you I am still at home couldn't afford to leave Um, I think I just like being at home I know yeah yeah yeah, I like yeah. the comfort of it, you know. Yeah, yeah, it is though. It is. It is fairly. It is getting very expensive. Oh, it it's unreal, and expensive. trying to find places to live, and you know, I see like oh, it's it's tough. Like even for the college students there, there's you know trying to find places to stay, and it's just it's it's really it's a tough time for for people. And I know I think. I for me like I'm very happy at home and sure I get on really well with my parents and I'm really lucky to be in that situation and I'd say do you know what PJ they'd miss me a fright you'd go partying <laughs> with your parents so you would <laughs> so you would alright alright Mauritius there's the thing you know the way they always talk about drink being cheaper on holidays and it is right you've been to Ibiza haven't you <laughs> I right. have indeed you know Andrew was over there at the moment he just texted he was out <laughs> I'd say Andrew is is, is counting his just he's trying to find breath this morning. He went out last night, a small bottle of Heineken, yeah, and a vodka and Seven Up in a club now in one of the the clubs in Ibiza, right? Small bottle of Heineken and a vodka and Seven Up. How much? Well, I paid a fiver for a can of water over there, so okay. I can't imagine. He got hit for fifty four euro <sighs> at a club in Ibiza last night. Oh my god! For a small bottle of Heineken and a vodka. Wow. Holy moly! That's like that's dearer. That's that's dearer than than downtown. Like that's madness. <laughs> that's incredible. That's insane. All right, hundred and forty-three quid a night, but it's not going to stop you. No. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, Maureen. Thanks. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Yeah, and they're not leaving the nest either. You see, they're staying. There's some forty-seven percent of twenty-five to twenty-nine year olds now living at home with mum and dad. If that's how much a night out costs, I can't say that I blame them. There are other reasons, of course. 0818 Some of your responses on the bank giving out money that wasn't yours to take. Uh, we'll come back to that. But that survey from Europe, uh, Eurofund, 28% of Irish adults aged between 25 and 34 are still living with their parents in 2023. Now, the EU average is 30%. So that number puts Ireland in the top seven countries of people still living with their parents. Now, I lived at home until the day I got married. It was handy. So I would count into one of those people who did that, but that was back in the 90s. Uh, and I, I didn't move out, as a result of which, by the time I went out to get married, I could barely, barely boil an egg. Uh, so I should have gone and left home years ago to find my find my feet, but I didn't. But so many people now are not doing it. Brenda Power, uh, journalist and com- columnist with the Sunday Times. Brenda, you have a few at home with you, do you? Good morning. Good morning. God, I was thinking you were some catch, weren't you? You couldn't even boil an egg. Oh God, it was it useless. I was pure <laughs> useless. I looked at a washing machine and said, how do you turn that thing on? <laughs> you see, this is I think this is actually the problem really for, for young people who can't afford to move out or are not moving out, that they really don't have a lot of those life skills that you would otherwise have picked up when you were, as I was, 17 and had to leave home and live in a, a grotty flat that, you know, might have had leaky pipes or, you know, washing machine that didn't work or whatever. And you just had to get on with it. I, I think that's a lot of what they're they're missing out on. Yeah, I have four of my five are still living at home. 
Now, two of them, in fairness, are still in college, so you wouldn't mm. expect them. Um, although I suppose, you know, in ordinary circumstances, if 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 those cheap grotty bed sits were still available, they'd probably prefer to be living away from home in college, as as, as a lot of kids from from the, down the country do. Like, when they like why did you, Brenda, at seventeen? Why did you move from the comforts of home yeah. to a place where the heating didn't work? Like, why would you? Be- because I was, I'm from uh, rural Kilkenny and I was doing a journalism course in Dublin right. and commuting was not an option. So um, the, the grotty That's part right. was the right. only other possibility. But I mean, it was great. And it's, 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 it's a huge learning curve and it's a great life experience. And, and you learn even things like budgeting. Do you know what I mean? You learn how to manage your, your finances for the first time ever. Yeah. Um, Rev- uh, Revolut you, you didn't know, exist you then. So you can't text and go, Dad, can I have 50 quid? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And and you know what? You'd have a lot of use doing it, even if it did. As far as I can remember back in those days, if you wanted another 20 quid, you went home and asked for it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. yeah, it was very different, very different. Now making us sound like we're ancient. But I no, mean, no, but, but, you know, but that, the, that was. <laughs> the, the, young, the, the people that are still at home with you, other than the students. So why are they there? Mm. Um. Well, one has just literally finished college and just started work. So uh, I suppose she's she's just qualified as a doctor. So she's talking about maybe going to Australia at the end of the year for a year. So, I mean, there's no point in her getting getting mm. a, a flat. And even at that, it would still be kind of out of her budget at this stage. And then uh, the older girl is, is works in real estate and she wants to buy some art. So she's saving for a deposit. So, I mean, that's that's the only way I can help her. I really don't have a big pot of money um, to, to give her a deposit or, you know, bank of mum and dad. So I can let her stay at home and, and let her put aside what she can. So, yeah. I mean, I'm, you know, I've no doubt she'd, she'd prefer to be out somewhere to living, uh, sharing with friends or whatever. But for the moment, it just doesn't make sense when you look at the cost of rentals yeah. in Dublin. It's just crazy money. And, you know, I was, somebody was, was quoting the fact that, say, in the Netherlands, rental prices are just as high, but they don't have the same level of people living at home. But you see, they don't also, I would suggest, have the same attachment to property ownership that we do. You know, in, in, in places like the Netherlands, Scandinavian countries, the idea of renting for your entire life is absolutely acceptable. Yeah. But here you have people saying, well, I can't rent because I'm trying to save. Well, you know, you, you could rent. You could rent. But if you try to save as well, then that is just not possible. Mm. And, 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 you know, and, and given the, the, some levels of renting, a rental, <clears throat> it's, not, it's not within people's disposable budgets anyway to be able to afford like whatever it yeah. is, three or four hundred a week for a shared room. Looking at it, it journalistically rather than as a parent, it certainly is housing is the big one, isn't it? Housing is, you know, it's a feature in so much here. We don't really realise, you know, or you don't sort of join the dots a lot. I mean, why is it so difficult to get teachers for, for say, Dublin and, and, and I'm sure other cities are having the same yeah. difficulty? Because they can't afford to live in the city. Gar the recruitment, gar the, you know, d- numbers who can work in, in Dublin city centre. Obviously difficult to find guards on their salaries who can afford to live somewhere that's commuting distance of Store Street or, or, or Pierce Street or whatever. So I mean, it's it's. I, I expect, suspect that a lot of people who are coming here as refugees would be here on work permits if they could afford rent, but they can't, of course. So they have to come in and 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 see if they can qualify for refugee status before they can rent. So I mean, it's it it affects, you know, it affects so many areas mm. of society. So much would change for the whole country if we could resolve the housing crisis. You you mentioned. Plus, you- and all young people. Your own experience with the grotty little flat when you were 17 because you were away to college and and that's all that was there. Hmm. 
There was a move in the early noughties, wasn't it, Brenda, to do away with the bedsit. And people thought, oh, that's a great idea now because bedsits are grotty. Mm-hmm. The grottiest bedsit was something. If the, yeah, if absolutely. The, it was John Gormley, think, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It was. It was. Yeah. Taking away yeah. those bedsits, they took away thousands of ordinary rooms that maybe weren't in the best of condition. But do you think, looking back now, with your, again with your journalistic hat on, do you think that when they took away all those small bedsits, they added to the problem? I thought it was a mistake at the time because, I mean, when you think about it, what they're talking about now as a replacement, one of the proposals is these kind of shared living hubs yeah. where you will share kitchens and you would share bathrooms and so on. That was the way in those bedsits. Well, no, in the bedsit, usually what you had was a, maybe a cooker in the corner and a That's fridge right. Right. and then a shared bathroom down the hall. I mean, that didn't kill anybody. Do you know what I mean? And and it was cheap and it was cheerful and it was affordable for the few years. And I, I mean, I remember when I was in, in college and even after college, there never never seemed to be any difficulty finding somewhere. Once you got fed up of, of somewhere or you wanted to, or somebody, maybe another pal wanted to move in with you, you had no difficulty finding a bigger place or even a house to rent. Mm. But like that is not a possibility now. And that all did grind to a halt when those bedsits were were outlawed and then those houses around Ranelagh, Ratmineswerk, Gar that used to be bedsit land um, were turned into, you know, fine family homes and uh, mm. all those bedsit spaces were lost. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, it was a bit of a no-brainer, really. As a, as a parent, again, are you concerned now for, for your adults that they will, um, you know, that they, they will struggle to find their way away from from home eventually? Yeah, uh, yeah. Sorry, the dog is. That's right. Um, yeah, you can't, you can't <laughs> get him living on his own. You can't send him out. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, uh, yeah, I suppose. I mean, you wonder what sort of, um, you know, what 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 prospects they have really for being able to acquire some place, you know. And then, uh, I, I, do they have the skills really by the time they come to move out That's that right. we would have all learned in our late teens? But really, I mean, I, I get depressed reading about property prices. To be honest, because think, well, how will they ever manage? Even when they buy, their lives are going to be just you know, kind of bound up with, with, with making mortgage payments and watching yeah. watching the interest rates go up and down. And, and the alternative is immigration. Go away for a few years, hopefully maybe eventually come back and try and raise the money somewhere else. And, and I mean, with that comes the risk that they won't come back, yeah. you know, that they'll decide. I mean, as I say, my daughter's talking about going to Australia and they love taking in Irish doctors over there and apparently they make it very attractive for them to stay. They uh-huh. offer them, uh, you know, consultancies within 18 months in some specialties. I mean, be very hard to leave that and the sunshine and affordable properties and come back to Ireland. So, and you're there yeah, going, I'm delighted for you, but I'll miss you desperately. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's say I move over and move in with her and reverse the roles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The other thing, of <laughs> course, is when you, have, when you have got an adult living at home, there is one advantage. That is when you go away on mm. holidays, you don't have to kennel the dog and, and you don't have to do things like, you know, to stay at home with them. That is great. I have to say, it's now, I mean, because mine are all adults, it's more like a house share. So I always have somebody to drop me and collect me to the airport. And as you say, there's no longer um, any hassle about who's going to mind the house when you're away. So, yeah, there are advantages, definitely. Mm. Or, you know, if, if, I, if I don't feel like cooking or I'm not in to cook, I'll just say, look, somebody make dinner this evening and, and it's always done. Or yeah. pick up some groceries. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's yeah. there are a lot of advantages. To Mary it, wants well. to know, Brenda, do you charge them? No, I don't. And as I said, that's my way of making a contribution, I suppose, towards their savings. Yeah. 
you know, I mean, they, they, they'll, they'll, they'll pick up groceries or, or whatever, but no, I don't. I, I don't know. This is, something seems very cold about, you know, where's your rent this week um, to, to your kid at a certain point. So I'm hoping, and I mean, the, the, the deal we have is that they're putting spare money aside. Yeah. Towards, towards, uh, towards their own. There's a thing though that you just. I mean, this this came up on the show a few months ago, and people were kind of divided, saying, "Well, do you know, if they're living at home, they should be making a contribution. But if they're living at home, trying to spend, I like that idea though. Listen, would you pick up a bit of slice pan and maybe some mm. cold meat and a pint of milk or whatever, and bring it? And there's no there's, there's no money involved. You bring the groceries in. That's yeah. their contribution. What about heating and yeah, Netflix yeah. and? Electric and well, yeah, no, I mean they they they're they're the ones who subscribe to the whatever streaming channels we have. So those are you know they pay handle for those. themselves. They want them. They pay for them. Yeah, but I mean it's more than a pint of milk. I'd say look, we need a week's groceries. Will somebody go to the shop? And um, they they do that. So I mean that's, that's so they make, make it a solid. solid I can do. I think yeah. Solid but, yeah, exactly. All yeah. right, Brenda. Yeah. Good talking to you. Thank you very much, Brenda. Power of the uh, Sunday Times Ireland edition. Um, there's lots of kids moving back home to stay at home for a few months or maybe stay at home for a couple of years until they can raise the money to buy their own place or until they're planning to go overseas for a while. Would you charge them? See, there's the thing. Would you charge them? If they're staying, if they're still at home with you in their 20s, if they've never been out, never lived out, and they're in their mid to late 20s and they're earning money, would you charge them rent because they're at home because they can't afford to rent outside in the big world out there. They can't afford to rent and save at the same time. So would you charge them rent? Tom says a landlord near me rented to students after they left. It cost him two and a half. And after they left, it cost him two and a half thousand to refurbish the place with new mattresses and showers, etc. Now he's selling the property. Yeah. So children living at home into their 20s and maybe even later, they're not children, they're kidults, they're adults, they're living at home into their 20s and older. I was, and people often laugh at me and they go, what? You're joking. No, I was 29 when I got married. And June of 1994, I'll be 30 years married next year, June of 1994, and I moved out of home the day of my wedding. Looking back on it now, uh, my mother would probably wish that I had gone years previous to that, to that because what she released into the world was utterly useless. <laughs> Completely and utterly useless. But I stayed at home till the morning I got married. I, I probably was an exception. Um, so, but what about anyone listening who's got children at home with them? What's it like? Does it enhance life? Or would they prefer to be elsewhere? 0818 96 96 96. Just while I mention Netflix there with Brenda. Um, and her children are the ones doing the streaming. For the first time ever, less than 50% of Americans' viewing time has now been broadcast TV. It's all streaming. It is all streaming. It's, it, I mean, even now with Sky, for example. It, so many people now watching Sky through the now streaming system. 0818 Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Live. With Hidden Hearing, changing lives with the latest hearing health technology. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Quartz 96 FM. 
in 60 seconds to claim 2,000 euros. 2,000 euros. Lorraine and Ross in the morning. I'm getting money. On Cork's 96 FM. Queues forming outside ATMs and guards having to be called to manage the queues up the country. Didn't happen here. Didn't happen here. We're too cute for that. Philip says, guard the response protocols. Burglary. Three hours. Assault. Two hours. Domestic disturbance. Three hours. Violent incident. Four hours. Loitering with no resources. Banks losing money. Instant response. People were saying that last night online. Not entirely sure it's 100% fair, but they were. They were saying that. They, oh, they can always find a guard. But you see, there might be a... Point taken, Philip. Thanks. 0818 96 96 96. Now, flight tipping. If there's one thing that grinds my gears, it's people horsing their rubbish out at the side of the road. It really wrecks the countryside, destroys rivers, ruins places. You, you see it in this country at a ridiculously high level and in places where it's just blatant, just bold. Do you know, go behind the airport there. Drive up behind the airport. There's country roads up there. You'll see couches, couches for flip's sake, on the side of the road. Now, Chris Moody uh, from Save Our Bride Otters, the campaign to keep the, the river out there cleaned. The bride, isn't it? Because cleaned since 2017, and there's been dumping again. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you doing? Good. I hate the... Br- Anyone who dumps anything near a river or around a ditch or over over a, a hedge into a field, from my mind, should be horsewhipped, actually. But go ahead. Yeah, well, um, I, I suppose, well, I, I'm a member of Save Our Bright Orders, but I'm also a resident of Blackpool for the last 15 years. And I suppose I've been cleaning the river, uh, the river bride, the banks of the bride and the, the, the river itself. Um, there's a big dumping problem. Stuff gets chucked in there. But um, I went for a walk on Monday morning. Um, it was around, I suppose, around quarter to seven uh, before the cleanup crews had arrived. And the, just the amount of rubbish dumped uh, along the, uh, the Jersey barriers there um, and stuffed behind them at Orchard Court was just unbelievable. Um, and also further around under the flyover there, uh, at the where the shopping centre is, that's a regular spot for dumping. On Spring Lane, there's a little section off there. There's there's a few pockets there and there. Yeah. They appear to be visited by the same people over and over again. And um, I, now I did report. Uh, well, at the first of all, the council did turn up and they removed uh, a lot of the rubbish along Orchard Court. In fact, if you turned up there, maybe uh, I think it was at a quarter to seven. I first saw it, and at eight o'clock, it was all gone. It had been cleared away. But um, it'll be there again uh, in, uh, next uh, next weekend. Yeah. Just over the weekend seems to be the, the worst time for it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now, I did report other stuff. I've used the See It, Say It app, which is uh, you can get from the App Store, and you can you, you download it to your phone, and you can photograph uh, rubbish or dumping, and, and it seems to be acted on very quickly. It's an EPA uh, initiative, I think. And they uh, they they then liaise with the the county council sorry the, the city council or the county council 
And um, then it is dealt with, and I found that very, very swift, the, the response to that. Yeah. What kind of things did you find on your walk the other morning? Well, let me see now. I have photographs of it. There were three shopping trolleys. Uh, there was um, a bed, a mattress. This had all been dumped on the side of the road. Now, this, this, to my mind, comes from a truck or something or a van out the back of a van. Um, and then there's the bags, you know, bags of rubbish. There's a couple of spots there that um, I, I went for a walk this morning and I see someone has, I, I, I see there seems to be a delineation between the Jersey barriers and the river and the other side. One appears to be the cleansing department and the other appears to be drainage. So um, you, you, if you walk along the Jersey barriers, which, which were installed in 2014 as a kind of an emergency flood relief measure, um, <clears throat> The uh, rubbish is being stuffed behind those on a regular basis. Yeah. So occasionally if I see a load of black bags down behind there, I'll, I'll lift them out and put them on the other side so that they'll be taken away. Otherwise, they could be sitting there for weeks before you even, even notice them, you know. But then you, as, um, a, as a citizen, out for your walk of a morning, are handling what could be very contaminated material, putting yourself in personal danger for your bit of civic duty. Yes. You shouldn't have to do that. You shouldn't have to no, do that. No, I shouldn't have to do that. No, I, I shouldn't have to do it. Um, you know, but uh, I, I suppose <clears throat> if you, if this stuff is left, if what happens is it, it encourages. If you, if one person starts dumping stuff yeah. and and people see they're getting away with it, then yeah. other people do it. Yeah. And waste, waste just, draws waste. To, waste draws waste. Exactly, and it, it tends to come in waves as well. Like so, there'll be certain times of the year where it'll be worse. Um, it seems to me, anyway, that the dumping into the river itself has has come back a little bit. Oh, it, it seems to have, it seems to have, and to you know, if you had to choose between chucking stuff in the river or dumping it down by the side, I'd much rather people dumped it down by the side than chucked it into the river because <clears throat> once it's in there, it can be difficult to retrieve. Yeah. Um, the other thing, too, people are clever before they go dumping stuff. They remove any identifying information. They take out letters and they take out anything with an address on it they do most of the time sometimes they don't sometimes they leave stuff and um you'd hope that uh that's that would be investigated and that you know action would be taken because it's um you know i think i think if, if i'm correct i think it's around 400 euros a year for if you're going to do the right thing and and get your your waste disposed of legally mm. um where there's, it's clear to me anyway, there's a very significant number of people who are just dumping their domestic waste at the side of the road or in any little green space. It's amazing, really. You go for a walk and maybe at, at first you wouldn't notice, but then you start looking behind things and you see the little bags of rubbish. Um, and something else that really should be pointed out is that there are no, uh, no dustbins or no waste bins in Blackpool Village at all. Yeah. You know, I think there was one at one stage that was removed. And I noticed there was uh, one at the top of Shandon Street that was also removed. You can see those if you look at Google Maps. If you go back in time <clears throat> uh, in 2009, there was, a, there was a, a dustbin in Blackpool Village. So, I mean, even if people are trying to do the right thing, uh, you know, that, that option is closed to them. So maybe either they can't afford to di dispose of their rubbish properly. Uh, there might be a, a minority of people who can't afford to do it. Uh, even if they do want to try and, and, and do it, you know, the best way they can by putting it in a dustbin, uh, that, that option isn't open to them, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, Education is part of it, of course, teaching people what not to do. But, but do we need something else? CCTV, extra barriers, patrols, like, the, do we, yeah, a clampdown is needed here. 
I think, uh, look, I've spent some time thinking about this as I've been picking stuff up, at, you know, out of the river. I, I, I've I spent a lot of time thinking about how can we, how can we solve the problem rather than point the finger? Because point, you know, it's easy to say, that, you know, the people are disgusting and everything. And yes, it's disgusting and people are responsible and they shouldn't do it. But, but that doesn't solve the wider problem. And uh, in my opinion, uh, I think the only way to, to, to sort this problem out, um, and again, it's only my opinion, is, is, that, uh, is that you make it possible for people who cannot possibly afford to do it the right way, you make it possible for them to do it via waiver or some other means. Yeah. And for those who can afford it and continue to do it, you, you come down on them very hard. Uh, and, and, and I think that, that it's worth investing um, in that and making the resources available to 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 do that um because uh i can only see the problem getting worse yeah. you know and it really is you know i don't even if people realize it consciously that it, it affects you you know when you're walking around and you no, see horrible. this in your neighborhood it's, it's you know, it, it, you'd be a little bit ashamed actually chris to, to be irish sometimes uh, to see this crap around the place and you know that when you go overseas uh, and you visit other places, you, you don't see it, or you don't see it to the same extent. Chris Moody, thank you. 0818969696. I've been banging on for years. Got for time now, but I'll come back to it after the news. I've been banging on for years about the way community bins work in Spain, and I think we need to think hard about community bins. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, focused solely on your hearing health for over 35 years. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Cork's 96 FM. The lines are live. Hello. Join the conversation. Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan Cox 96FM I think we're very much quietly patting ourselves on the back this morning us Corkies that we didn't we didn't go out and queue up at Bank of Ireland ATMs last night there was no need we had more sense than to realise that or to think that there's anything like or any such thing as free money. There was queues in Dundalk, there was queues in Dublin, queues in Limerick at ATMs. Guards had to come and supervise the queues. So long were the queues. <laughs> Here in Cork, we were, we, were too, we were too cute for that. Like. We were way too cute for that. Um, we realised that there's no such thing as free money. Johnny Doyle's listening in the UK. Hey, Johnny, no queues in Cork. Cork people have more sense than to think the banks would be giving out free money. PJ, in relation to the maximum overdraw on accounts with this ditch, it'll leave a lot of people without any cash in their accounts on their next payment as the bank will take the money back immediately. They may not offer an easy payment scheme. It's it's automated to balance the account. We know the banks, they want the money back ASAP. The point, that's a good point. Like if you went out last night and took out 500 quid and you didn't have it, and I'm not accusing you of taking it. You saw it there and thought you had it and you took it. The next time your wages go in or your welfare goes in or whatever payment you have goes in, the next time that goes in, whoosh, the bank will whip it back. And straight away you're going to be in trouble because you'll be 500 quid in the, in the, in the red. Uh, I think the bank's got enough of our money in the bailout. 
is one comment, uh, not signed. Andrew says, Morning PJ, just listening here about the BOI glitch and how people were able to avail of all this money. I'd love to know how many of these people castigated Ryan Tuberty for saying he took money that wasn't his. There isn't a lot of, there isn't a lot of sympathy, I think, for people who will find themselves with the bank taking back their money or taking back money that they took last night. I, I don't know if there's a lot of, of sympathy there. Uh, it's temptation to do it, but I don't think there'll be a lot of sympathy for anybody that that did it. But again, clap in the back for us from Cork. We were wise enough not to queue up to to take money that it's not ours like. 0818969696. Now, a couple of months ago, I spoke on the programme with Kate Shotnessy, who is this year's Cork Rose. The International Rose of Tralee Festival is up and running. And the television nights, is it next Monday and Tuesday? Is that the two nights that's on? Next Monday and Tuesday. But there's been some disappointment and some hackles raised in Ballincollig over the whole thing. Let's have a listen back to the last time I chatted with Kate on the opinion line. Did your mum and dad meet at the Rosa Tralee Festival? They did, they did. They met there a good couple of years ago, I think 40 years ago this year. Um, so yeah, they met at the Rosa Tralee. They're both from Tralee originally, so um, they met there growing up. Okay, and tell us about yourself. So I um, work in Norwood Grange. I'm the care coordinator in Norwood Grange. So I'm up in Waterfall, which is lovely. Um, I'm from Ballincollig. Um, I grew up in Ballincollig. I'm living out in Ovens now with my boyfriend, Michael. Um, My parents returned home to Tralee last year after living in Ballincollig for 23 years or something like that. The draw of the kingdom. The draw of the kingdom. (laughs) Yeah, the Kerry blood. They couldn't fight it off. (laughs) The draw to go home. So yeah, they went home last year. But it's great. I, I got to stay in Cork, which is bad. At what point in your life did you decide, I'd like to try out the Rose of Tralee? Oh, God. I'd say a young age. I'd say, you know, we had a mobile home in camp, which was just outside Tralee. And mm. um, so we always attended the festival. And, you know, I was brought to all the, the parades. And I used to make a rose book with all their pictures in it, getting them to sign. And um, so I kind of always knew I wanted to do it. And then I was the Bella Ballincollig in 2018. Um, which was lovely and then this year just the right timing the ad came up on my Instagram and I said you know what I'll do it this year so it was a great experience it was fab and we'll get to see Kate uh, on the television on the 21st and 22nd of August 8 o'clock on RTE1 but some posters were put up around Ballincollig in support of the local lady local Rose Kate Shortensee signs were put up around uh, Ballincollig but Cork City Council came out and took away six of them. I'm reading all English's piece here in the Examiner. Cork City Council took away six signs because they said they'd been erected without permission and permission is required under what they call the postering protocol. And the council has the power to remove without notice any poster or notice that has been erected without permission. And those posters for Kate Shotnessy were erected without permission around uh, Ballincollig. And there's a bit of annoyance at their removal. Now, the council has said they can have them back. The, the organisers, or whoever put them up, can have them back. They've been got into storage, haven't burnt them or anything. 
um, you can have them back and fulfil a proper application and then we'll give them back to you and tell you where you can put them. They were erected by the Balancholic Business Association. Uh, Emer Cassidy joins me. Emer, did you not know you needed to get permission? Good morning. Hi, PJ. Thanks very much for having me on. I suppose, first of all, can I just say that Every town loves us a reason to celebrate. Of course. You know, if it's a GA team in a county final or if it's a county, uh, your, your county in the All-Ireland and everybody goes bad and the, it's a real, real feel-good factor. And I suppose Balancholic is absolutely no different. We are extremely proud of Kate Shotnessy uh, being the Cork representative in the Rose Tree Festival. She is a fabulous girl, a wonderful girl who we all know really well and represented us really well as the Belle of Balancholy back in 2018 and worked with the Business Association and the community groups um, doing lots of voluntary work during that time. Mm. So I suppose uh, I, I, a little bit of the background of this because I was on my own holidays down in South Kerry uh, for the first two weeks of July and at that early stage, all over South Kerry, uh, there was big, huge billboards everywhere in in Carsevine, Balanskelligs, Waterfall, Glen Bay, everywhere supporting the Carsevine uh, girl who's representing Kerry in the Rose Tralee. And I said, Jeannie Mac, we better get our act in gear in Balancholic and get out and support Kate and make it as visible as we possibly could. So I suppose, look, the, uh, you know, I have to say apologies, hands up, didn't realise permission was required. We've had signs, and uh, you know, plenty in the past you know didn't didn't think in 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 terms of that that because it's only a time specific this is this was going off for two weeks yeah they were very tasteful and they were all put in um you know situations that were safe i know there was some words come back that you know maybe they weren't in locations that were safe we were very careful about where we put now it wasn't just us um kate grew up in kuro meadows and there was a sign in front of her home, where she, or the house that she grew up in, mm. and that was taken down. So it wasn't just the business association, because everybody has come out in support of Kate Skullbarra, where she went to school. Oh, the oh there's Kate no question of that, Emer, that, that everyone yeah, yeah, supports yeah. Kate. But I was, and forgive me here, I'm, I'm surprised that a professionally run group like the Balancholic Business Association representing business people and many business people would put up their own posters and their own billboards and their of own course. advertising. That, I'm surprised that an association like that wouldn't realise you can't just bang posters into the ground or bang billboards into the ground without asking permission. I'm just a bit surprised. Okay, well, look, apologies on that. I just wanted, I suppose, just to, to put the reason why we of did. Course. So, I mean, we... we I, I, I have all we've done is apologise. So I haven't been I, I haven't been critical about the rule or anything. I mean I don't know you know um, if if that's where you're coming from. Oh no 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 no! I'm just surprised that people wouldn't know it existed. But I, now the the council have said. Sorry, the council have said you can have them back, and if you fill yeah. fill in the paperwork, we'll we'll tell you where you can put them. Yeah. Are you going to do that? Of course we are. Of course we are, and that's it. I mean, that's the end of the that's the end of the story. There's no further story. We just want to uh, just put out there that we really support Kate, and that uh, we want to. Say it's it's a reason to celebrate, and uh, you know, it was an oversight, and we apologise. 
But we would say that we we did it in good faith. Of course you did. Oh, there's no one questioning that at all, Emer. Yeah, yeah, there's no one questioning that at all. But I, it, I, I, yeah. I, I, can I just say, I suppose, yes, you, you might be surprised, but we were surprised on the other hand that, you know, I'm very easy to find that we could, you know, we could have been contacted and of course we would have, uh, d- uh, you know, but they, they were actually taken down unknown to us. So, um, I, and, yeah. and that's, I think, is that what is that bothering you a bit? That look, if there was a problem, could they not just have called you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, said, and that, that's it. And that's the only problem here. Just I know we have. Look, it, yeah. Yeah. You know, but but I haven't I haven't raised this, uh, PJ. You know, it, it, you know, it, it wasn't. We're I haven't made any song and dance about this. People have contacted me. If you understand, I understand. You know, yeah. We have. We about this there's no complaints on our side right. um, but it would have been nice if the council had bothered to call someone yeah look if it just contacted me and said we're, we're, there's, there's a problem here but um look they, they were taken down we didn't know I, I i actually don't know how i'm going to go about getting them back up look melancholic business association is actually more a voluntary group and a community group than a business sure. i don't have I, I myself don't have a business or don't you know don't work in Ballangolic. We're a community voluntary group. I work full time. I don't know how we're going to manage to do this now. Yeah. In the time well, your, your local councillor, um, yeah. Colin Keller, I mean, former I mean, Lord Mayor, has quoted in the article that Owen writes and said, "Look, it's unfortunate yeah. that to come down, but in fairness, they said they'll give them back, but you need to get permission first. So, uh, can that be done? Would yeah. yeah, I'm sure it will. So, look." PJ, the bottom line here is we all want to get out and support Kate next week. We'd hope everyone tunes in. This is a really positive story. We don't want anything negative to deter. And I really firmly believe that Kate is going to come back with the crowd from Tralee. And that's what this is all about. Wouldn't it be Anybody great if she did? It's about time we had a Corkway. We haven't had one. Was it, was Absolutely. It? We haven't had one in a while, actually. For a long while. So very long behind Kate. And All we'll right. get the poster sorted. All right, Emer, thanks. Emer Cassidy from the Balancholic Business Association. Are they going to be that quick taking down politicians' posters? We often see large posters and displays that I'd consider both unsafe and an eyesore. They're left up for weeks after the election is over. Never mind after a few days. Yeah, election posters, actually on roundabouts. I can remember previous elections where certain politicians, I won't name anybody, certain politicians put up mini billboards on roundabouts, knowing full well, knowing full flipping well, that it's not allowed. And the council take them down as, as, as they should. But here's hoping they get them back up again. The event is 21st, 22nd of August, which is Monday and Tuesday. Uh, in Trulli, it's not in the dome anymore. It's in a new venue from eight o'clock with uh, Dahi O'Shea, Dahi, and Catherine Thomas. I think is joining him on stage this year. And John raises the point: Why do they need two presenters for the Rose of Trulli? The magic of the interview will be lost. RT just couldn't leave well enough alone. Well, John, let me say this: You and I have had many a Barney, and probably will have many more. I. A hundred percent agree with you. There's absolutely... What was the point? What brain box in, in RTE decided to be a good idea to put two presenters up for the Rose of Tralee? Unless now you're going to have Dahi on Monday and Catherine on Tuesday and then they both come together for the announcement. But what's the point in having the two of them there? To me, there's no point. You know, if you want to get rid of Dahi and bring in Catherine Thomas for a year, go do that. No disrespect to Dahi. But why two? 
what as I said what brain box came up with that 0818 96 96 96 join the conversation this is the opinion line with hidden hearing changing lives with the latest hearing health technology they're all ears visit hiddenhearing.ie Cork's 96 FM Premier League back up and running again across the channel and Premier League Live is back on 96fm.ie at the weekends with Trevor Welsh at the team. Saturday for midday, powered by Talk Sport. This Saturday, three big ones for you. Liverpool versus Bournemouth at half. First against Man United at three. And Man City against Newcastle at half past five. Premier League Live online with Harvey Norman. You're home of the big screen. You're listening Saturday on the Cork's 96FM app or go to 96FM.ie. If you don't have the app yet, why don't you have the app yet? Open it up and you'll find the button there to get you to Premier League Live. 0818 96 96 96. Cobra was on last weekend and a great weekend was had by all, so we're told, except it was brutal for parking and brutal for trying to get around the place in in vehicular fashion, shall we say. You get a train down or a bus down, but if you drive it was a problem. And also, the taxi rank, people use the taxi rank as parking, which doesn't go down well with the taxi driving fraternity, as well it mightn't. Dara, McGann, are you still driving? Have you gone back to it? Morning. Good morning, PJ. Yeah, I've made somewhat of a return to driving three weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, under doctor's advisement, uh, I was out for over six months between car trouble and mental health problems. So I've just... Tipping... Oops, that line is Oops. playing up a small bit. You're back at it in a couple of weeks. I'm back at it with a couple of weeks anyway. I am indeed. Good, good. And that rank, is that an official sanctioned rank? Oh, absolutely. Um, In fact, I was part of the negotiations initially with the the then Cove Town Council um, on the establishment of the rank in Pierce Square. And how many taxis are allowed to park there? Well, on... You would say on the right-hand side, looking up where it's outside the bookies, uh, you would have four taxis lengthways facing down. And then on the top left of the the square, there would be space for another eight taxis. Okay, that's a dozen. And about how many taxis, I mean, would be locally based plying their trade, Dara? I would think... Around about 20 to 25, roughly. Now, I'm open to okay. correction okay. on that. Okay. Okay. We, we did lose numbers. Obviously, some guys during COVID didn't come back. Unfortunately, a number of our members died in recent years as well. Yeah, yeah. So, on the weekend of the regatta, people just started to use this as parking spaces. Well, actually, PJ, it's not just on the Sunday of the regatta. It's every Sunday, sometimes every Saturday of every weekend. Right. Mm. Now, on this given Sunday, and this is not a slant at the regatta committee at all because they've done a fantastic job, but I went down on Sunday afternoon. I couldn't park. I, I couldn't ply my trade, so I rang the Garthi, um to ask them would they come over. They advised me that the car was out in Carrytoon or at a match. They were tasked with being out there, so there was actually no one available in Cove. But it's not a slant on the Gardaí either. What we do need is for Cork County Council to make provision 
for a weekend warden. And I yeah. think in every town, it needs a weekend warden. Look, PJ, health is a seven-day business. You know, everything else is a seven-day business. Parking and being able to get around is a seven-day business as well. Mm, yeah. Like, the I, I there's a, down near me in Barry's, Barry's has a taxi rank just outside the main gate there. And it's a kind of a, it's kind of an unwritten thing. You don't. You just don't. I would have thought it's it should be. You don't. People are trying to run a business here. Well, you see, I know that there will probably be people will text into the show, and that's fine, that will say, oh, but we never see all the taxis. But that's not the point. Um, taxis are on duty. If they're not in the rank, they're busy. Yeah. But the rank is there as a safe point for people to pull in, we pull in off the road for passengers to alight safely, to get in safely into the car, and off we go again. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. In general, do you think that people respect ranks, Dara? I'm not so sure, because I've spoken to colleagues in Cork, I've spoken to colleagues in Galway, obviously they're cities, um, there are issues, but they've all agreed they never, in any of their times coming to Cove, they've never seen this, where there's private cars parked on the rank, making it unsafe for any taxi driver to play their trade. Yeah. And if it were a thing that any taxi driver, I'm not necessarily suggesting you do it yourself, but any taxi driver at all were to approach a person who'd be sitting in a private car on that rank and say, come here, that's a taxi rank, what kind of reception do you think they'd get? Well, actually, funny you ask, because I did approach such a person. See, on funny funny you should say, I kind of figured you'd be the person who would. Go on. <laughs> well, I, look, I, I just said... Knowing you as I do. <laughs> yeah. I said, excuse me, I said, do you know you're parked on a taxi rank? And the reply was, so what? And I said, well, you're preventing me from going to work. Now we're, we're on morning radio, so I can't reply what they actually told me. It's colourful. Yes, very. Right. You see, it's it's that's not fair. You're being prevented from doing your business. Do do we? You, you say that there's need for a weekend warden. But this happened on a Sunday when there's no warden. Will there be a warden on a Saturday? Uh, there would be, uh, on, sometimes. But, I mean, I, look, I take my hat off to the wardens. I wouldn't want their job for all the tea in China. And the warden we have in Cove, by and large, is very fair. And he does a great service for the taxi drivers in the, the square every day, making sure that, you know, people are... And the other issue, of course, is disabled bays. He makes sure that they're available for people with disabilities. But there is no official warden at weekends in general. Mm. So therefore, I, I would be calling on Cork County Council, rather than going around taking down posters for Kate Shocknessy, uh, go go and put wardens in place. Yeah. Do something proactive for a change. Yeah. Yeah. Do people still tip taxi drivers, Dara, by the way, seeing as you're there now? Yeah, I believe on another radio station there was a, a conversation yesterday about the tipping culture. Um... I would say yes. Mm. No, you you could be talking, you know, if if the fare on the meter was six euro forty, look, take seven. 
you know, that sort of way. Um, yes, particularly with tourists, absolutely. Yeah. You know, but I'm not in the... If somebody wants to give me a tip, that's fine. But equally, I somebody got into the car the other evening and they didn't have the amount of money they needed to get home, but I took them home. Yeah, yeah. You know, because I'm thinking, if that were me, and I was shortchanged... You know that somebody would be nice to me. That's the way I look yeah. at it. I don't know if you've seen this story going around about the waiter in San Trope who followed a very wealthy client out into the car park and said, "You've only left five hundred quid. You need to come back in and leave more <laughs> as a tip." I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon down down in Cove. Darren. No, I, I, look, I can't see that happening. But look. <laughs> I, Look, having worked in the hotel business many, many years ago, um, tips are always appreciated. You know, we hear a lot spoken about staff. Oh, they're on the minimum wage. Minimum wage is nothing. If somebody is good to you and is kind to you, it's the least you can do is return with a tip. And I'm not talking about 50 cent. Yeah, ain't that the truth? Dara, thank you. And good. Say one more thing. Of course. Yes, I am making my official return to the performance stage on next Saturday in the promenade in Cove at 2.30. Cove Tourism invited me to do it. It's part of Heritage Week. There'll be a liner in. So I'm making my official return. I'm delighted for you, my friend. Delighted for you, Darren McGann. Fine, fine voice. Fine, fine voice. The singing taxi driver, formerly of Britain's Got Talent and all of that. 0818 96 96 96. But people just parked in the taxi rank with impunity at the weekend and Dara reckons part of the reason is they get away with it because no one's going to say anything because there is no warden there uh, at the weekend and there's a big problem in the city too like what what how does a taxi operate outside Reardon's how do taxis operate around town in general now uh, away last week and you'd be calling a taxi or looking for a taxi and you just wander out of where you are and there's a taxi because there's kind of designated areas along, say, the Avenida in Portugal Carmen, where taxis just pull up. No one asks any questions. They're left for the taxis. The place is left for the taxis. It's, it's kind of respectful. Oh, eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Now, Lillian, you were down in Cove, and there was just no parking anyway. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you this morning? Great altogether. How are you? I'm great, but I was listening to Dara there and we were down on Sunday. You know, on a Sunday, it's our Sunday spin. And if we're gigging or something, it's so near and it's such a beautiful place. But last Sunday, the regatta was on. So we went down and we, I must say, we went up and down the town around four to five times. Yeah. And there wasn't a space to be got. And that's understandable in a situation where the regatta is on. But the But what was happening is that if somebody had been there to direct the traffic, we parked, double parked, and we were 45 minutes there trying to get into a space. And every time there was a space available, say the traffic that was coming towards us ran into the spot. So 45 minutes we were there. So I was just saying that it was so crazy. We went all the way down. And every Sunday, we, as I said, we go down and so looking forward to walking around, looking at the fair in the park and everything, and in the end, we had to come home. Yeah. Do, do you think that there should be better provision, say, an old park and ride that will be out in Belvelli or Ticknock or somewhere, an old park and ride that will go in and out, or better train services so that you wouldn't have to get to drive down at all from the city? 
When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, because I don't even I don't even use my car. It's always outside the door. And I feel that maybe to bring your car and some other place be available, maybe around the town, maybe even up behind the church somewhere up there. Do you know if, they, if there was even a field that they could turn into some, uh, especially when there's a regatta on? Yeah, big, big festival event. It's bad. Yeah, it's bad. It's bad enough on a normal Sunday. Yeah, and uh, maybe for a regatta, definitely because the fun fair was inside in where the car park is normally. Yes, there was nothing at all available. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good point that you make. And it was a festival weekend, and no provision made, no no warden to protect the taxi rank for the taxis, nobody directing traffic, nobody sorting out who should go and who should park, park where. Lillian, thanks. Oh eight one eight. 96, 96, 96. Covergat is a fantastic event. Marvellous event. A gig down there years ago. But it, the place just gets jammers. I think I gigged up there in, in Jack Doyle's pub for Dan Noonan one year. And I had to come down with my gear and I parked miles away from the pub. Like Even up there at the back where that pub was, that's gone now, I think. We, I parked up nearly up by the cathedral and, and had to toddle down carrying me bags of tunes and me gear. But the town just gets mad at the weekend. There were thousands of people in Cove on Sunday night. There was no guards. The staffing is a disgrace. It holds large events, hosts large events, which is fantastic. But no provision is made. And there's a there's a big guard station. There was always a decent-sized guard station in Cove, but there's a big guard station now down in Cove. And are you saying that on Sunday night the height of the regatta, you didn't see any... Now, that's not to say they weren't there. You just didn't see them. 0818 96 96 96. I forgot to mention, my old pal, Lillian Courtney, just been elected president of Blarney Toastmasters, and they did their 1,000th, yes, 1,000th meeting uh, recently. So congratulations to Lillian, um, president of Blarney Toastmasters. I, I was a member for a little while. I, I may go back for a couple of meetings over the the year to come, just to just to maybe do a bit of toastmastering with with Lillian. It's fun. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. I mentioned that story from Santrope. Uh, this is a rest. Now Santrope is expensive. Like it is dear. Your dinner is going to cost you thousands in Santrope. But they expect tips. And this Italian 
waiter ran, I'm sorry, this, this French waiter ran out of the restaurant in Saint-Tropez into the car park, running after an Italian client who had only left a tip, only left a tip of 500 euro. And he was asked very nicely to go back inside and give another 500. This is according to the local newspaper, Nice Matin. Uh, 20% of the total amount is what they say is the standard tip in Saint-Tropez. I would have thought it was more like 10% worldwide. Um, Tourists are now expected to shell out 20% of the bill as a tip. (laughs) Given that the average dinner spend is €1,500 each in Saint-Tropez. What are they eating? What the hell are they eating? For a 1,500 quid place. Anyway, there's the thing. What are they eating? Is it steak? And if it's steak, how are they eating it? Paul Trebo, no better boy, to start a discussion on Twitter about how do you like your steak. I would have been a, I'd have been a medium man, Paul. You'd like people to, to lay off the, lay off the, um, the well done stuff, wouldn't you? Morning. How are you, PJ? How's things? Good. I'm not- uh, I'm, I'm laughing at the, the amount of the tips there in Saint-Tropez. My God, a 500 quid tip. <laughs> you, you wouldn't get to leave our restaurant, but it's because we'd be hugging you for so long if you left a 500 quid tip, not because we wanted more. <laughs> it's it's uh, a yeah. long-time you know, discussion, though, Paul. How, how do you like your steak? I, I, I like mine medium, maybe slightly on the well side of medium. What I don't like is the yeah. one that a good vet could resuscitate. Do you know those ones? Yeah, I suppose, I mean, like, first of all, we always say, look, you're the one who's eating it, you're the one who's paying for it, so you're the one who can have it whatever way you want. But what we always say is that, look, if you go into a doctor, you're going to ask them for advice. So people who order well-done steaks, and it's amazing over the years, like we're in Trevos there, geez, nearly 21 years now at this stage, I always turn around to people who order a well-done steak, and I say, you know, is there any reason why you're ordering a well-done? And they always say, yeah, because I hate the sight of blood, which is a kind of a thing that people think that, you know, with your steaks, with rare, it's not actually blood, it's more the juice or the protein yeah. that comes out of it, but everyone yeah. thinks it's the blood but uh, so we always turn around to people and say look if that's the only reason why you order well done try it medium well trust us try it medium well that way there's none of that blood or juice whatever way you want to call it there's a slight pinkness in the meat very very slight pinkness in the meat but you'll have none of that red or juice coming out on the plate and if you don't like it we'll throw it back on and we'll, we'll cook it a bit more so everyone goes, all right, great. So the next minute they try and go, oh my God, this steak is so tender. And I said, well, it's actually not that the steak is so tender. Is the more you cook it, the tougher it's going to get. Mm. So that's why we always try. Now, again, a lot of this is down to the cut of meat. So this would be like a strip loin or a sirloin. So if all the listeners now put their hand behind their back and come up the muscle either side of their spine, that's pretty much the strip loin or the sirloin of steak. And the higher you go up, up to your shoulder, that's still part of the, of, of, of the same cut of meat. So the higher part near the shoulder works a bit more on the animal. Therefore, it's that little bit tougher. Now, it's still the strip loin. So if somebody orders a well-done steak, they tend to get the pieces of the steak higher end of the muscle, which are a tiny bit tougher because mm. it's going to be tough anyway when you cook a well-done. So you, by going medium well or medium or medium rare, then you're always going to get a better cut off the strip loin. So that's what we always kind of recommend to people. Mm. You what? know, try medium well. What's the most popular? 
Well, I would say kind of medium, if not medium rare. But again, it's, it's, it's very important as well, PJ. This all depends on the cut. So, so like, like a rack of lamb, if we have people turning around and saying, look, I, love, I want my rack of lamb rare. And I say, why do you want it rare? Say, well, I always have my steak that way. And rack of lamb is similar. It's red meat. I always tell them, go medium rare. Actually cook it a little bit more because a rare rack of lamb will actually be very, very tough as well. But if you give it that extra five, six minutes in the oven to make it medium rare, then it's a lot more tender after it's resting. So like steak, if you have a strip loin, I would say go medium, probably medium rare. That's how I'd order mine. Yeah. If I was having a fillet steak, I'd have it rare because there's literally no muscle, no fat or anything. So it's a lot more tender the rarer you cook it. Yeah. But if you're having a ribeye, that there's a little bit more fat, certainly in the, the actual eye of the fat in the middle of the steak. I always tell people, go medium. Because if you have it rare, which people say, oh, sure, I always have my sirloin rare, I always have my, my fillet rare, it's again like the rack of lamb. It's just going to be that little bit of toughness in it. So it depends on the cut of steak as well. What's the most nutritious way to cook a steak, Paul? Oh, well, I suppose you'd need, a, you'd need a food nutritionist now for that. But I mean, I, I would be thinking kind of, you know, you're, you wouldn't want to be going more than medium. It's like going more than medium. You're cooking you're the good out Yeah, absolutely. You're losing a lot of the nutrients out of it. But one of the most important things in, in cooking steaks, people always ask me, I can never get a steak at home the way I get the steak in a restaurant. So, so first of all, the main reason is that is that the hob you have at home can never get to the heat that we have in a restaurant. So you're kind of broiling it, or you put a steak into the plate, into, into the pan, and it's not red, red hot to sear it. The other reason is, is that they take the meat straight out of the fridge and straight onto the pan. So if you're cooking a steak at home, let it 30 minutes, cover it in cling film, and leave it 30 minutes just to come back to room temperature. And that really? way, the meat is kind of, oh, absolutely. That way the meat is kind of relaxed a bit, and therefore it's going to be a little bit tender before you put it into the pan. That's and the other huge reason, yeah, the other huge reason is, is because it's very rare you cook a steak for yourself at home. You normally cook two, if not three. So you're putting two or three onto a pan that, first of all, isn't getting hot enough in the first place for one but second of all when you put two or three into it it brings the temperature way down and that's why you might turn and say this must be really bad quality meat because there seems to be water in the bottom of the pan when i cook it it's nothing to do with that you've just overcrowded the pan so what i say to people is look if you really want three or four steaks and you don't have the ability to do that tell your butcher to cut it all in one piece and seal it all as a joint of beef put it into the oven for 15 or 20 minutes and then let it rest for 20 minutes or so and then just slice it like a like a sirloin of beef or something like that and you get a beautiful tender piece of yes. steak. Anyone ever asked you lately for blue? Tell people what blue <laughs> yeah, is it, now. But blue, I mean, blue is practically still alive and charred on the outside. Exactly. I mean, I think the Americans would call it Pittsburgh style. So it's, uh, again, so it's very much, uh, say, Swiss, German, French, would, would, like, wouldn't be as popular. There's always people in Ireland who say, oh, I have my steak blue, and they think it's gorgeous because they're eating a lump of half raw meat. But it has to be, again, at room temperature. The pan has to be so, so hot, and then you're literally searing it for about a minute on each side just to get it like that nice little char on the outside. But the meat then in the inside must be kind of at room temperature. That's the perfect blue steak. Uh, it's 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 okay for, for uh, I certainly wouldn't have a sirloin like that, but for a fillet steak, I, I'd have no problems. I mean, I eat steak tartare, which is raw beef, which Good. is absolutely no. delicious. I hate it. Yeah, but if, I, if, I gave it, they I gave it to me once what? in France. I hate it. No, 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 no. Couldn't really? Know. Yeah, it's, it's probably, it's certainly an acquired taste. A lot of people would turn around and go, oh my God, raw beef. But uh, I mean, it's, I suppose they'd have, the, and they'd be the people who'd order a capaccio of beef, uh, you know, in, in, in a starter as, uh, in, a, in a restaurant uh, so again it's just it, it's perception but I love a good steak steak tartare if it's yeah. done right it's, it's delicious here's one that I've read and maybe you've seen something about it this 
announcement from the Food Safety Authority people during the week that uh, the, the first license to sell lab-grown meat will be issued shortly. And they expect, people expect, that by about 2026, we'll be going to a lot of restaurants ordering lab-grown meat. Will it ever be allowed inside the front door of Trevo's and Killarney? Not, not a hope in hell. Not a hope in hell. I mean, look, you're you're talking to a guy in a restaurant in Killarney who's telling you his opinion against a guy who's got a billion dollar marketing budget to tell you that lab grown meat is better for you and that we need to cull all our cattle and that we should be eating stuff that big pharma and big companies stand to make trillions out of and not the farmer down the road. No chance. I always say when I go down to a local football match or soccer match or hurling match, my local butcher is there. There's a good chance my kid is playing with his kid. There's a good chance we meet each other in a bar and have a chat and have a pint together and all that kind of stuff. So I will stand and support the small local farmer any day over some guy like a Bill Gates or somebody like that who's saying, no, 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 you you need to eat woodery grub and cricket burgers and lab-grown farmer meat because that's much better for you. Nah, lads. I don't think so. <laughs> they'll tell you, you they'll tell you you'll live an awful lot longer. You won't. It'll just feel that way. Well, you see, it's amazing. They'll tell you anything if they're getting the cash off you. So that, <laughs> that's what these guys want. They just want all our cash. <laughs> Paul, I'll be down the next couple of weekends. I'll pop day. in and say hello. I'll talk to you soon. That's uh, Paul Trevel from Trevel's Restaurant in uh, Killarney. How do you like your steak? I know it's probably the most hospital radio question you've ever thrown out here. How do you like your steak? Uh, I like mine medium to just a little bit well depending on how thick it is 0818969696 I remember being out one night with my, with my daughter and, and someone on the table next to her was getting a really really rare steak and they cut into it and do you know she's about to she said dad dad go to the car and get me a bag I'll get that thing going again <laughs> Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Join the conversation. This is the opinion line with Hidden Hearing, focused solely on your hearing health for over thirty five years. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Cork's ninety six FM. Yeah, on events in Cove, Craig says PJ with regard to big events in Cove, would it not be a good idea to put on extra trains from, say, a park and ride station like? Glenton or or Middleton or maybe Little Island, some one of those, and then take the traffic out of the town and everybody get the train down. Craig, sounds like the simplest idea in the world, which is probably why it'll never happen. On the taxis, Kingsley says, PJ, just you're talking about people uh, taking taxi ranks. A lady is here in front of me shouting to take his taxi out so she can pack her boot. On the Rose of Tralee posters, the posters for Kate Shotnessy, which were removed by the County Council after they were put up around Ballancolic, and we had Ewer from the Ballancolic Business Association on with me. They genuinely, they didn't know they needed to get permission, but they're happy to do all the paperwork necessary now to put them back up. But would have been nice, though... Would said Emer would be if the county council or a member of the county council, as in a councillor, might have called and said, "Come here, come here." You needed permission for that. John says, "Would county council be better off using their resources to sort out rat-infested houses rather than be worried about a few signs?" There you go. And the students staying at home and adult children staying at home. Chatting with Brenda Power about that earlier on. You'll get that on podcast.
earlier in the afternoon. PJ Eugene says, is, is the family life of the Waltons called, called the Walton? Night, John boy. Night, Mary Ellen. Night, Sean. Night, Mike. Oh, God, we don't ever want that. We don't ever want that. Finbar, it's not possible to rent for your entire life in this country. That's a point we raised in the in discussion. In other countries, you do. You rent for your entire life. We seem to be kind of obsessed with buying. Finbar says it's not possible to rent for your entire life. I also get sick and tired when I hear in the Netherlands, in Sweden, in Spain, etc. Ireland is not these places. It's just not a point, Finbar, but it's a point that kind of grinds my gears a little bit. I'll throw it out there before we head to the news. You know the way we look at things like bins, like community bins in the street where you go and you put your bag, your, your, your bin bags, community bins that the community pays for through taxes. They work everywhere else. Why don't they work here? Renting for your entire life. Why doesn't it work? It works. There. Things that work in other countries and we say, oh, but they're not Ireland. Well, why the hell don't we try things that work elsewhere? And coming back to the flight tipping discussion from earlier on this morning, with people dumping their rubbish into the Bride River and near the Bride River, flight tipping, community bins. I'm a massive believer in community bins. We're on holidays last couple of weeks, and the day we checked in, there's a little piece of paper there in the apartment where the community bins are. They're about three to four minutes walk away. Huge bins. Huge flipping bins. The only thing they ask is that you don't leave these bins or these bin bags on the apartment complex and not one was left. Bring on the community bins. I keep saying it for years. Community bins is the way to go if you want to keep litter down. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Mind. With Hidden Hearing, changing lives with the latest hearing health technology. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Cox 96 FM. The minds are live. Join the conversation. Call 0818 969696. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Mind with PJ Coogan. Cox 96 FM. Yeah, nice day out there now. And just looking at the weather forecast, um, sort of into next week. This weekend will be all right-ish, no great shakes, then Monday, showery, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday of next week, we're looking at back-to-school weather. Bright sunshine temperatures up to 21, 22 degrees in the afternoon on Thursday, Wednesday, Thursday and Friday of next week, so a bit of improvement coming towards the end of August maybe even into early September back to school weather I know I know I know I know pain in the neck when July was such a washout but you can still look forward to it you might get another couple of evenings in the garden out of it which is good 0818 96 96 96 Helen on Bank of Ireland PJ says that I hate to disappoint you but there were queues in Cork last night I have video of a queue in Blackpool. And I was also told there were queues in your own home patch of Douglas. Maybe not as long as Dublin, but there were some. Maybe in... Could it could it be in Douglas that you might have been confusing it with the queue for KC's? No? <laughs> well, maybe there were. Maybe there were. But you know what? We'll pat ourselves on the back 
anyway, Helen, and we'll say that we didn't go mad. Okay. On the retained firefighters, a message in to say the only way the firefighters will make any headway in the dispute is close down the Dublin stations. Government won't step in until Dublin is affected. Yeah. You see, a, a lot of Dublin firefighters are full-time. A lot of them. There are, most of the retained firefighters are outside of Dublin, but it's a very valid point that you make unless Dublin is affected. Or Ed, Ed, the retired firefighter, on me the other morning, he said what will unfortunately be the catalyst to getting this sorted is that there's a tragedy and he does fear very much that there could be. On children staying at home into their adulthood, do you take money off them? Well, why would you? Johnny says, I wouldn't charge them rent. I would charge them for bills and for food. Uh, Carla says, I like the rule. You take money off the kids, put a third uh, to the parents, a third to the cost of house maintenance, and a third to the kids' savings. Maybe I might change the proportions, but some system like that. Caroline's 41, bought a house alone when she was 28, lived at home until then, paid a little a week to her parents, but they actually didn't take anything for over two years once I put it aside for a deposit. That was their way of helping, which was great. 0818969696. Now, we hear every day of the week that there's full employment and that there's loads of jobs out there and nobody to take them. So we have a shortage of teachers a shortage of childcare workers, a shortage of dentists, a shortage of doctors, a shortage of nurses, a shortage of Gardaí, a shortage of pretty much whatever you're having yourself, a shortage of professionals as well. Loads of jobs to be had, but a crisis in recruitment. And there was an interesting piece in The Independent about how it's very hard now for Generation Z, Generation Z, call it what you will, to apply for jobs, that they find the whole job application process stressful and and difficult, and they think it's unfair. They say that the the, the piece was saying that the the requirements of applying for a job are unreasonable, um, and it's just too hard to get a job. It's too hard to get a job. And I'm wondering why. What's the problem? Like the world is your oyster. You're twenty something now, you have a good degree, good prospects. The world should be your oyster. But it would seem that it isn't. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Louise Bon Ryan um is a professional in HR. They seem to find it very hard, Louise, according to this article I read. Good morning. Hi, PJ. Good morning. Um, just to correct you there, I, I, I work in employer branding and okay. I'm a specialist in recruitment marketing, right. so um, not quite in HR. But yeah, I thought that article was really interesting and actually kind of reminded me of my own experience uh, over 20 years ago when I graduated with an arts degree. So I don't know, the list of jobs that you mentioned there at the start, like, I mean, guards, nurses, dentists, teachers, it almost feels like they're they're ready like to come out of their degree and go straight into the workforce. Whereas, let's say when you have like an arts humanities degree, it is it is harder because there are so many people with that degree. But a, an employer is going to be looking at you basically as a cost and they're going to think to themselves, 
well, if we invest in taking on this person, um, how are they going to drive my business? How are they going to help me like make more profit? So unfortunately, I hate to say it, but when you're looking at job descriptions these days, like a degree is is one bullet point in mm. a job description. And I think when I was reading that article, in one way, it felt like nothing had changed in kind of 20 years. I mean, like I applied for hundreds of jobs when I graduated. Um, but on the other hand, I wonder where this sense of I have a degree, it should be easy for me to get a job. I wonder where that's coming from. And unfortunately, the author has just come into um, the reality of looking for a job nowadays. And it's it's really hard. Like looking, yeah. they say looking for a job is a full-time job in itself. Yeah. And just to give you some context of numbers, a job application, let's say for like a marketing executive, there could be three or 400 applications that come in yeah. for, for that. And that's, that's the reality of the situation. Yeah. But in a, in a full employment market where we're told that there are shortages everywhere, in every kind of industry, mm. it seems to have shortages. Um, you'd, you'd, yeah, you'd think I that the first suitably qualified my... person will be grabbed, like. Well, you would think that, but I suppose when you have three or 400 applications coming in for a job, a hundred of those could be well qualified but then you come to what we call like the hiring manager so the person in the team where this person is going to report into and of course you know my experience would be marketing so I know this isn't relevant for everybody but they may have a list of requirements they may be really picky um you could be the most qualified person there you could have all the software that they're looking for you could have like the relevant experience but you might be a bit too quiet in the interview. Maybe they want more of a, a go-getter or vice versa, or you mightn't fit the culture or whatever it is. Um, and that, that's really hard. Do you know, that's really, really hard to take as well. Yeah. And I just wonder with the universities, like I almost feel like they should have a module or something on the reality yeah. of this. I, I do agree with yeah. that. The, the person makes the point, Eve Moore, who wrote it, made the point mm. that a lot of graduate job offers, they're, they're seeking XYZ experience and they're seeking ABC skills, but mm -hmm. you don't have a job. You can only get mm -hmm. experience with a job. I think that's a valid point. Absolutely. And... Um, I'll give you an example like from my own background. So okay. I qualified in marketing and I worked in the Celtic Tiger in Dublin in, in a restaurant in the Venn Company uh, in Dublin too. Then I joined the public sector and I took voluntary redundancy. So I went over to New Zealand, volunteered for the Rugby World Cup as a media assistant, right. came back and digital marketing had like exploded in the, in the time that I had been away. And people I did my postgrad in public relations with, they were all going back to college um, at night to, to get these certificates um, and postgrads in digital marketing. And that's another thing that you're, you're never kind of on top of your game, like you're always having like to upskill. But um, I was really into horse riding at the time and I was going out to um, a stables and his website was terrible. He had 
very poor kind of um, social media. And I was doing a springboard course in UCC, free course in uh, digital marketing. And I said to him, can we barter? Um, I need experience. I'm learning all this stuff in my course. It's great, but I need a business to to implement this on. And after a while, he was like, okay. So I got free horse riding lessons in return for bartering. And I hate to say it, but... Yeah, you have to come at this. You have to like think mm. outside the box in a way. Yeah. And I, I do agree with her that like internships, unpaid internships, like it's that's not right. But at the same time, yeah. like if you're a graduate and like if you don't know how to use Excel, if you don't know how to print something out, like if you're going into an office job, it could take you a year, you know, to kind of get up and running. Whereas if you can just be a little bit creative, even go to a charity and like volunteer maybe like three hours, four hours a week or something mm-hmm. with them. Just as long as you you can point to something like on your CV and say, I know how to do X, Y and Z. And really, you're just kind of showing the, mm. the employer, I'm not a liability. I know how to work and your investment is safe yeah. with me. Like I'm a safe parent. Some of the... Some of the- interview questions that you hear about all right are a bit a bit daft i mean we've just heard yeah. in instant people who were asked in a job interview um what crayon color would you be and why or are you more of a hunter than a gatherer like what kind of old nonsense is that louise yeah do you know that's going to backfire pretty quickly because something like that would just get you know, annihilated, let's say, on Twitter and on LinkedIn. And I do think that the younger generation, they they are fearless when it comes to to calling out those types of questions. And honestly, you have to ask yourself, like if you're in an, in an interview, um, you've turned up, you're giving them your time. If they're going to ask you stupid questions like that, then really, is that the type of place you want to work in? Yeah. Is that the type of culture that you want to work in as well? So one, what, what would you do differently? To what, what would you do differently to what we do now? Like That's a very different... Like, if someone asked me yeah. that question, right, and I'm doing this job a long time, and someone asked me that question, I'd say, okay, you're asking me, you're asking me looking for a job to criticise your operation. Do you know, that's, that's actually not a bad question Isn't in a way because, no, because what a company or let's say what the hiring manager will do will be they'll, they'll look for basically your ideas um, and, and, you know, have you kind of researched the company? Is there anything that you change? Now, maybe that's more of a marketing thing. Um and actually, like I, I got interview coaching like a couple of years ago because yeah. I was terrible at answering those questions. Um, but there is a way, like interviewing, yeah. it is a craft. Yeah, there's honest. a kind of a way you can parrot, isn't there? Yeah. You can you can parrot these answers, and and you've a hundred people turning up for an interview, and and they all answer the question the same way. That doesn't achieve anything either, doesn't it? Um, it depends. It depends. So you wouldn't have a hundred people turning up for interview. You may have like five okay. or six. So Jeez. straight away, you could have three hundred people applying for a job. You're short. Maybe there's a short list of ten that goes to the hiring manager, and then they'll pick 
five. So um, I'm actually a, a, like a LinkedIn trainer for job seekers. And I go into universities like for an hour and I have a little graph that I show them at the start, um, research that has been done on LinkedIn. And they're, they're kind of gobsmacked, you know, when, when they're looking at like the numbers, you know, um, like 300 people apply, X amount will reply to the recruiter on LinkedIn. Um, then only like 10 CVs get shortlisted, five get called for interview and one gets the job. Um, so so the answers to those questions, some people might shy away from them. They mm. might immediately go into panic mode and say, oh, my God, like I, I, I'm not going to criticize the company. But then if you're a little bit more confident, if you're a little bit more, let's say, bullish, you will say um, certain things like, for example, I find broken links on people's websites and I don't hold back. I say, oh, yeah, that link on your page is broken. That didn't load. That image isn't loading. And you see them straight away taking down notes. And like, it depends. It depends if the CEO, if it's a small, medium company, if the managing director is in the room, they'll just be like, yeah, you know, that's that's who we need now. But right. again, I can do that now because I have over 20 years experience. Exactly. Whereas if I was a graduate, I, yeah. I, I mightn't. Yeah. yeah. Another thing too, you'll get a round one of the interviews mm. and then round two and maybe, maybe round three. And they're all people with different personalities. So you have to prepare yeah. differently for each interview. And yeah. if a personality clash happens over an interview table, you're in trouble. Yeah, absolutely. Um, as an interviewee, it's hard. Do you know, do you make up your mind there and then saying like, well, if that's going to be my boss, you know, it's, it's just not going to work out here. Or do you kind of keep a lid in it and say, you know, so maybe they're testing me. Do you know what I mean? Maybe they're trying to kind of push a few buttons here to see how I'm going to react, especially if you're in a customer facing role, I think as well. Mm. Um, and sometimes it's just not intentional. Sometimes um, one of the interviewers might be very detail orientated. They might be very focused on data and um, it might feel like you're being grilled but actually, to them, they're just digging down into the details. Yeah. It does sound to me like, Louise, two things. One, a course is required. And secondly, you're a person to deliver it because if you're applying for a job, uh, there's 101 things to be considered other than your qualification for that job. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I do have a free course on YouTube. Um, there's over 20 videos there on LinkedIn for job seekers. Um, it's it's kind of what I would have been delivering like in-house into universities, going into universities and doing bits online. But I've just decided because there's such a need for this. Mm. Um, I've just decided to put it all up online for free. So if you just go onto YouTube, type in Smart Fox LinkedIn, um, there's 20 videos there for free and I've gotten great feedback on it as well. But LinkedIn is like one part of the job seeking. It's kind of like you Tetris. Keep, you keep you mentioning know. LinkedIn. How important is it yeah. for a young person entering the job market to have a profile on LinkedIn? Oh, it's essential. Essential. Like if you don't have a profile on LinkedIn, 
you don't exist. And I, I know that might sound <laughs> extreme, but um, I'll give you a stat. So there's a, an Irish company called Social Talent and they train up recruiters and how to use social media to hire. And a couple of years ago, they did a survey of, of in-house, so not recruitment agencies, of, of in-house um, HR teams. And they asked them, where do you find your successful candidates? So people who've been interviewed and get the job. And um, 57% came back and said LinkedIn. So I was saying this to a friend of mine who's a recruiter in an agency. And she said, oh, like for agencies, it's probably like 99% LinkedIn. So, you know, they're they're really important things like profile optimization. So using things like keywords, you know, from job descriptions, um, peppering them throughout your profile so that you get found in recruiter searches. So there's a whole art um, to that. And, you know, it only takes you about 15, 20 minutes to learn. But once you kind of learn it, it's with you then for life. Yeah, I I get these things ever so often, usually on a Friday. You get these, uh, PJ, you came up in 14 searches. Who's searching for me? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> well, I did. <laughs> I did this morning. God, you got me checked um, Yeah, but you can turn that off, to be fair. And LinkedIn notifications are really annoying. Like, there's hundreds of them. So that, is, that would be one of the first things. You know the ones you get, I'll, hey, I'll show you how to turn that off. You get all these messages of congratulations on your work anniversary. At this stage of my life, I've done so yeah. many flipping jobs, I don't know what they're talking about. But thanks, 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 thanks. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, yeah. See, you have a LinkedIn profile. Do I do. You know what I mean, I, um, I set it up years ago. I don't yeah. do a whole pile with it, but yeah. I just set it up years ago. You know. Yeah, that's. I think there's there's loads of things. Like there is a module, I think that universities, and it's almost as, as if they have a duty of care, you know, to the students. And it's just where this this idea in that article has come from that because you have a degree or because you have a master's that you should be able to like waltz into a role almost um like it's really hard and with with the t- all the tech layoffs like every time i open up linkedin i see people in the states um who might have been what we call like talent acquisition um such as like in-house recruiters and some of them have applied like for 600 jobs since january since they got laid off in january and um like they're running out of money now yeah. and they're putting up posts being like can somebody, I've applied for 600 jobs, I can, like, these are all my skills. And, like, they get 10,000 likes, you know, and, and I'll always comment on them saying, like, you know, commenting for reach, you know, please somebody, or please give this person, like, a job. And and it does work. Like, then they follow up and they say that, like, you know, they, they've got, like, people reaching out to them, you know, for like, offering them interviews and stuff. But... I just wonder, you know, if a graduate is saying now, oh, it's really hard now. Well, then w- welcome to our world, you know, like I'm 42 mm-hmm. and, you know, I've 20 years of marketing experience. But if I went to get a new job next week, you know, it could take me it could take me eight months of, of relentless um work but it's not just applying for jobs I think that's a big mistake as well that that they're all on the job boards applying for jobs it's actually about your network and that's something I didn't know years ago Mm. it's and it's not necessarily like who you know as in terms of my parents work here or my aunt works here and got me in it's actually like fellow marketers like in Cork or in Ireland like I didn't have that network years and years ago 
And then through joining groups like Network Cork, for example, like mm. that was huge for me. Um, and so when I go into universities now, I do give them a little talk. I say, I'm here to talk about LinkedIn and how you can do all these bits, you know, click here and click there. But really, like in Ireland, it is about your network. And I was like, there's nothing stopping you from connecting, you know, with people yeah. on LinkedIn. There's not, there's lots of free things you can do. Like look up Eventbrite, you know, if you want to be a software engineer, like the, the IT at Cork, you know, they hold an event every month, like go along to that. Yeah. And I also tell them to print out, get little business cards for themselves because it's such a ritual when you go to one of these events um, and you meet somebody and, and you have a nice chat, you can whip out your phone and say, oh, I'll connect you to LinkedIn, or you can just give them your business card. And all you have to have is your name, a job title, doesn't matter if you're still a student, like software engineer, whatever it is, your phone number and your email address. Um, so you, you got to take this stuff seriously. Like a job is not going to land in your lap. Okay. Even when there's hundreds of them out there. Thanks a lot for that, Louise Bunyan. Food for thought. I would have been a little bit critical of the person writing the article, but when it's all explained to me, and I guess I'm lucky in that I haven't had to actually look for a job in quite a long time, thankfully. Um, yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot to be considered. Lillian says you were talking about the interview question and Lily is the coach is the one are you a hunter or a gatherer which I would have said was a silly question so I think Louise might have too it's a great question says Lillian as it distinguishes people in sales will they go out and hunt for clients and customers or are they a behind the back office type person as a coach it's a good question the other one though Lillian I wonder would you have any take on that what crayon colour would you be and why now that one, if anyone can explain why that's asked in a job interview, I'm listening. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, focused solely on your hearing health for over 35 years. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Quartz 96 FM. Oldies and Irish on Quartz 96 FM is the big Sunday show on your radio. Turn it up and take it easy with the best music mix for your Sunday morning. morning. Welcome along to the programme. Lovely to be with you on a Sunday morning. Oldies and Irish with Derry O'Callaghan. Sundays, 10am to 2pm. With Cork Simon, do you want to leave a legacy to the city you love? Find out more about leaving a gift in your will at CorkSimon.ie. Cork's 96FM. Harvey Norman are your home of the big screen. Enjoy your favourite sport, drama or action on the latest models from the biggest TV brands. Watch the big game in stunning resolution on our range of smart TVs. Available in multiple sizes, perfect for any room. Or enhance your experience of amazing sound and crystal clear bass with our wide range of soundbars from brands like Sonos, Sennheiser and more. With interest-free finance terms available and our best prices guaranteed. Why shop anywhere else? Harvey Norman, your home of the big screen. At Martin A. Harvey Solicitors, we understand that suffering a personal injury can be a daunting and stressful experience. Whether it's as a result of workplace, motor or public liability accident, we have an experienced team of specialists to guide you on every step of the way. To learn more, call us now on free phone 1-800-396-396. Martin A. Harvey and Company Solicitors, serving the people of Cork for more than 80 years. The Citroen EC4 and all-new EC4X are fully electric. 
So that means zero emissions. Their progressive hydraulic cushion suspension means zero vibrations. Their renowned advanced comfort seating means zero discomfort. And now, their impressive finance offer means percent interest rate. Book a test drive today at your local Citroen dealer. And zero for yourself. For Zero Festival Solo, listen to Cork's 96FM's exclusive online station, Sands of Summer. We've got the biggest tunes from your favourite festival stars playing non-stop. Are you ready? Listen at 96FM.ie or download our app, Sands of Summer, with Condare Village, home of Colorama, Ireland's most stylish street festival. A colourful mix of live music, street art and wellness events until August 20th. Stream it now for chill vibes only at 96FM.ie. Join the conversation. Call us now. 0818 96 96 96. This is the Opinion Live with PJ Coogan. Call 96 FM. We were talking uh, when the women's team, Irish women's soccer team, qualified for the World Cup. There was a controversy over the singing of Celtic Symphony in the dressing room. And I remember we argued at the time and I think it was a fair argument that the girls were just singing it because it's a popular song. That they weren't singing it for any reasons other than that. But it developed as discussions of the song generally do. And there's another controversy now has erupted for the, the singing of, of that song where people are pushing back and angry at the Wolf Tones continuing to sing the song, continuing to perform the song. They performed it in the North over the last few days. And it's led to some very, very heated discussions. Uh, Brian Morfin, of course, of the Wolf Tones. You wrote the song, Brian. We talked at the time of the soccer match. And, and it's, it is a, just a popular song and, 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 and people love it. But there are those who would like you to stop singing it. Good morning. Good morning to you, PJ. How are you doing? Very good. Um, yeah. You know, I just have to say that the, the it was the rudest, uh, most uh, bullying uh, interview I ever had in my life. Um, six years on the road, and that was yesterday. You were on with you were on with Joe Duffy yesterday for people who didn't hear it, and it was quite a controversial uh, interview, quite a bruising twenty minutes or so. That I listened, I listened to it, and I just wanted to have maybe a more, maybe a calmer discussion with you today. Like. For, for the benefit of people who wouldn't know the history, tell me the history again of Celtic Symphony. Well, you know, it's it's a, a song that I was asked to write a song for the 100th anniversary of uh, Celtic Football Club, which I did. And, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm a creator of uh, pictures and words, you might say. And uh, I wanted to tell the story of the Glasgow Irish people and their their love of Glasgow Celtic and their love of Ireland. And in every um, generation, the Glasgow people have supported the Irish um, struggle going back to 1798 and before. So, like, they're very, 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 very proud of their Irish connection. And uh, I wanted to bring that out. So I'm walking through the streets of of Glasgow, I'm playing the Barrow Lands at the time, and I'm looking at, uh, I see the graffiti on the wall that says, mm. we're magic, we're magic, up the cells, Celtics are great, and blah, 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 ooh, uh, up the rah. And, you know, that says to me, that painted a picture of what the Glasgow Irish were thinking and 
at the time and they were you know in great support of the struggle in Ireland so yeah. that that's what uh, came across to me. And the song's been number one a number of times. It's been very kind to you. You've made a lot of money out of it. There are those who believe now, and not just songs like that one, not not so, not songs, shall we say, on, on the Republican side of, of, the, of the, the... but songs on both sides, that it, it would... Something like Up the Ra would be classed as a sectarian phrase. Is it time to retire them, those songs, Brian? Well, I could just tell you, there's a long history of persecution of Irish song uh, by the English establishment in Ireland. I just go back to uh, this, this 1870s and there's a piece of the paper back then. I collect all these paper pieces, singing and playing seditious songs. At Nina Petty Sessions on Saturday, Constable John Moore charged Patrick O'Connor and Jack Stackpole with the above offence. The constable deposed that on the night of the sixth incident, between 10 and 11 o'clock, he met the prisoners, followed by a large crowd of boys, proceeding down Spout Road. Uh, one of them was playing a concertina, and uh, O'Donnell O'Boole was asked for. Yeah. Uh, he immediately played that tune, which was chorused by the, the crowd. Yeah. The constable followed them, and arrested the prisoners. Yeah, we're, we're going we're going back a bit there, yeah, though, Brian. But the, but, but let's let's come to the current controversy, if we could, and that was yeah. the, the singing so at the weekend in Fela on Fubble, for example. Yeah, it goes on. It goes on that every generation uh, has persecuted the artist song because they're afraid of it. The artist song is very important to the artist people. Remember that all the press was shut down that had uh, told any kind of story of Ireland. True. So there's no other outlet uh, but uh, their song. Now, the tradition in Ireland is that we sing. We don't uh, give accolades to our heroes. Sometimes they might get a monument. In we remember them in up. song. Yeah, we do. We it remember is, them we, in song. We remember them in song. And that's what we do, like we did with the hunger strikers and everything else. And it's important to the Irish people that they get some kind of recognition. In England, they are in the north of Ireland. If you're unionist, you get promoted to uh, to become a sir or a, a madam or whatever, like Foster got her, uh, her accolade for dividing Ireland. Mm-hmm. And so did them. Um, so did the, uh, you know, um, Jeffrey Johnson. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, both of them got accolades and they're promoted by the English establishment. They did. To divide Ireland. Yeah, but you see, right, can I just jump in across you there? The point I think a lot of people would make, and it happened after Fela on Fubble, and indeed, I know someone who was caught up at the weekend, they went to visit, do the Derry Walls walk, and they were caught up in the Apprentice Boys thing, and they were a bit upset and frightened by what was being sung there. So there are sectarian songs on both sides of the divide. Now, whether you see um, Celtic Symphony as sectarian or not, some people do. Is it time in a peaceful Ireland, and I would contend we are living in, the, thankfully, a peaceful Ireland. In a peaceful Ireland, is it time that certain songs were just retired, Brian? Well, you see, the, the, the thing is, I don't see, um, I don't see anything that the Wolf Tales have sung uh, throughout their 60 period of our thing as sectarian. And very You wouldn't, but others would, that, you see. The other, others no, no, would. Very few people that would. And it'd be a handful of people 
and a very small percentage that would. Because, you, you know, people who don't know the Wolf Tones music, you know, home in, in a nitpicking way mm-hmm. against one song out of two and a half hours. Yeah. Now, that Listen, was, I've, I've seen you play maybe 20 times, so I know what your show is like, you know. Yeah, okay, well, you, you understand that we do all the stories of Ireland and the history of Ireland. Sure. It's emigration. We have songs at the moment about uh, Captain uh, uh, Robert Ben Forbes, who brought food to Ireland to County Cork yeah. at the at the you know uh, during the eighteen forty seven. Yeah, you, your your songs about- mark the events of Irish history through music, and that's very very laudable. But some people would look at certain elements of shall we use shall we use the term rebel songs and would say yeah. they're sectarian time to attack. Now one would look over at the loyalists then there are loyalist songs. There are loyalist songs that should be retired as well, one would say. Is it time to well, stop you know, you know? That, that's not gonna that's not gonna happen because like uh, we don't have the same tradition of bitterness uh, as the, the as the um loyalist songs have. The lighter songs have a bitterness in them that can be seen by the words up to our neck. Oh, I know, but you'd look at your songs, to be fair now, Brian, you'd look at your songs in your way. And if I had a loyalist supporting songwriter on the other line, he or she would look at their songs in exactly the same way. Do you understand what I'm getting at here? No, I don't, because it doesn't equate at all in my mind. You know, um... It, it, as I said before, the ooh-ah up the ra in, in that song, it's like a lullaby compared to some of the songs You're not wrong. Here. You're but not wrong. We, we, don't, we don't attack anybody, including Lionists or Protestants or any religions in our song and music. They do. That's the difference. It's a bitterness. It's a hatred. There's no hatred in, in my songs. I don't. I don't agree with hatred. I never was part of hatred, and I will never be part of hatred. So the the fact is that uh, people misinterpret uh, what we okay. do because remember, like just as I read out there, the thing the guy's getting two months in prison for uh, singing O'Donnell the Bull back in the 1870s. You know, there's nothing different to me singing and getting castigated and bullied and everything else because I sang Celtic Symphony. When I try to explain to everybody that the Celtic Symphony is a song that uh, I'm trying to reflect and paint a picture of Glasgow and bring them, they love our country, they love Ireland. In every generation, there was more people from Glasgow in 1916 than in any other part of Ireland. So they came in an abundance. Yeah. Margaret Skinner, who I wrote a song about, also she was part of that rising account of Mark Markovich. So, yeah. you know, there's a great history, and we should be grateful. And, and indeed, I've that. seen your show. As I said, I've seen your show many times. I can go all the way back to to Shames of Koshley, Brian. I, I'm old enough, and I can I can remember I, your 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 show. If anyone's never seen a Wolf's Tones show, is like a two and a half hour. Irish history lesson through music. So, so we just wanted to get a, a, a chat with you and 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 let you have your your say because others others wouldn't, but but I will here. But in, you mentioned sixty years on the road. You still have the energy, fella. Oh well, I, yeah. Well, I tell you, it's things like this give me energy when I see 
once again that you know the Irish culture and and, and its history are, are tr- being trying to be washed out of our our system. How can we ever forget the burning of Cork by, by the Black and Tans? How can we ever forget those things? Remember the famine in Ireland and the awful things that you know the Irish people were persecuted like nobody else. We are sent as slaves to the Caribbean by um, by Cromwell. You know, how could we have people wash that out of their history? You don't hear that in their history. There is some books written about it. And, you know, 100,000 people were sent by Cromwell to work the plantations in both uh, uh, the colonies, as it was then, and also in the Caribbean. They were left naked. The ladies and the girls that were brought over there were left naked in the fields and they were abused as they weeded the, weeded the uh, yeah. plantations. Yeah. You know, we have, a, we have a history of struggle. Now, I'm not saying that we should hate anybody for it. I don't. I don't hate anybody for it. But I want, you know, English people don't even know the story of their country. They don't even know what happened in Ireland. They don't even know what they've do, done to Ireland. So, you know, when I play in England, and we do quite often, um, people come up to me and say, I never knew that. I never knew that. Yeah. That's a great song. Where'd you get that, you know, where'd you get that story from? And they don't understand, they don't know their history because it's never taught in their schools. The thought of a great empire and a great, wonderful Queen Victoria who, and uh, uh, all those uh, great kings and queens of England uh, mm. who made them great and yeah, made do, an do empire. Do you think sometimes, Brian, a good song is better than a history lesson or a history book? Well, I, I, I'd agree with that because we know the method of telling our story. Remember, history is always written by the conqueror. And Irish history, unfortunately, was hijacked by the conqueror. And uh, and those who came after them uh, went to, uh, and tried to rely on their books for the information about Ireland. And so the history of Ireland became the history of the conqueror and not the history of our country. But fortunately for the Irish people, the history of our country was in their song. You know, a historian writes for other academics, but a, a folklorist like I am, I write for the people. I don't write for other academics. I write for the people. And if the people don't like the song, they reject it. If they like the song, they love it. If they like the idea of it, they sing it and they uh, go on singing it forever and ever if they want to. So that's the power and that's the importance of song to Ireland. Yeah, yeah. Talking about Cork, I, I do, I'm old enough to remember Seems Cushley, you were pra- you, you, they practically couldn't have it without you. You played there for a few years running. What was your favourite, over the years, Brian, looking back at Cork and your frequent visitors here? Where was your favorite favorite place to play down here? Do you remember? Well, obviously, Shame Chikush Lee. But we started off way back in the eight, uh, the, the 19th, I'm going back to uh, the, the 1960s, and we played with Father Nesson down there in um, on the keys there. They had the Father Matthew Hall. Yeah. And, it's still there. And we played there for Father Nesson, and uh, he brought us down there in, in the early 60s. And it was, Cork was probably the first place to recognize the wolf tones outside Dublin. So we're very proud of Cork. Going back to the Seamus and we played it for 13 years. Yeah. It's not one year that went on without it. 
In fact, the whole idea was conceived when we were coming back from uh, Lorient, the festival in Brittany, and uh, we were coming back on the plane and we were all of a barrier course, our, um, our manager at the time, and it was at Corcoran too. And uh, we, we discussed the idea of having a, a similar festival in Ireland. And that's how Seems to came about. Yes, I remember it very, very well. Um, and, and even then, even then, uh, um, people used to complain about some of the lyrics in the songs. But you kept on because that's your music and that's your history. That's what you do. Do you have, of all the songs that the band and yourselves have written and, and, and released, do you have a favourite? I have loads of them. I, I mean, I've written 160 songs at this uh, stage and I've written all new melodies for it. I didn't rob any melodies uh, from tradition or otherwise. I composed them all. I've, they, they, I regard them all as my babies. Yeah. And uh, Is there one, though? If, if, if I were to say to you tomorrow, Brian, you can perform one more song and then you have to go quietly away and retire, what would it be? Uh, it'd have to be Joe MacDonald. Yeah. I, I think I think it's a very powerful song. And, you know, when I wrote it, um, I I met Gretty MacDonald down at the Gresham Hotel in Dublin. And uh, I I gave her a copy of the song. I said, look, bring it back to the family. Let, her, let them listen to it. If they don't like it, we're not going to bring it out. I said, but I don't want the family to suffer any any remembrance of the awful event and uh, so about two weeks later I met again in, in the Gresham and uh, she came back and we met again and I asked her what did, what do you think and she said the family just love it uh, and uh, everybody that's here to love it I said should we bring it out she said if I don't bring it out I'll fucking shoot you aye, 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 easy 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 <laughs> Brian family family radio show there was another song that was very good to you. Very, very good to the Wolf Tones. Do you still perform it? Written by my old pal, and he was an old pal of mine, Liam Riley. The Streets of New York still a big one for you. Absolutely, and what a great song. And uh, uh, we were great friends with Liam, as you know. And, uh, you know, the, the last gig we had together was up there in Oma. And uh, yeah. we played together and we took photographs together. We, we shared a little bit of a yap, 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 whatever about the business and everything else. And he said to me, Brian, F you, he says, everybody thinks you wrote the streets of New York. I said, no. I explained to everybody every night. I have her up at the screen, Liam Riley. It's true, though. <laughs> it's we- true, because, I mean, until, it was actually a mutual friend who said to me, actually, you know, they didn't write that. And I said, didn't they? No, that was Liam. I said, you're joking me. I actually ended up saying to Liam, Christ, Liam, I never knew you wrote that. I'm so sorry. Do you know? Actually, here's a caller on the phone. Can you say to Mr. Warfield, his songs have provoked discussion and debate among my sons because in schools, they shy away from the subject matter. They're encouraged to talk about and study Hitler. But when it comes to Irish history the debate seems to be getting shut down. So through your music and through your songwriting, Brian Warfield, you're, you're doing history a service. Well, I, I think so, and I like to believe that as well, because that's my ambition in life, was to carry the story to the world, to tell the story about Ireland, its history and its story. 
And it's not just like um, all the rebellions and wars and heroes. It's also about our emigrants. And our emigrants are great heroes in my mind as well, because, you know, if you read uh, most of the old emigrant songs, everybody was sad to leave the country, didn't like leaving the country. Their songs are sad and, and, and longing to get back to where they belong, but they never got back home again. And, you know, despite that, they supported Ireland, uh, you know, in once again in the struggle. And remember, it was a very difficult time for the Irish people. You know, we had a police force, RIC, that were arresting people for singing songs. Another, another fellow, I collect all these things. Another fellow was arrested because he had a copy of God Save Ireland in his home. And that was in County Limerick. And arrested and imprisoned. These fellows had sang... Uh, that uh, that uh, that song, uh, uh, Donna Labu, yeah. but two months in prison for singing it. I know, I know. Now, they they don't they they don't uh, imprison people for singing them now. But you know, under Section Thirty One, they banned our music on radio. They banned that. everything we done, even when we had a Christmas song coming out. They banned that song as well. And you know, and that was because of Conor Cruz O'Brien. I remember all that. There was another. There was another song you mentioned, "Emigration." That was another Liam Riley song. You had a massive hit with two flights of earls. That's right. Yeah, it was indeed, and it was very apt for the nineteen eighties. Yeah. So you know, we've covered ever every aspect of uh, of uh, you know of of life and, and Irish life and Irish struggle. Yeah. So. Why shouldn't we were Irish ballad singers or folklorists? Yeah. We're not historians. We're not, uh, we're not politicians. I never belonged to a, a political party in my life, and I never will. And uh, that's the way I am. I'm yeah. a folklorist. I will tell the story of Ireland, and I'll tell it from an Irish perspective. Yeah. Here's another one coming in. I'm not a Wolf Tones fan, but there's one that gets me every time when I was abroad. It's My Heart is in Ireland. Another very popular one. I would have a favourite um, going right back, Brian, and I am going right back to Seamus Cushley on a warm, sunny Sunday in July. Tour Dom de Love. Yeah, I know. And that, uh, you know, great traditional song and everything else, I wrote the words to it to try and bring people together, uh, to, you know, all peoples and creeds and joining hands and trying to make friends with everybody. And, you know, at the time when we were going north, we played in many, many places that, uh, you know, golf clubs in Lurgan. We played in many places where there was a big uh, Protestant community at our shows. And most of them, most of them liked uh, the music and the song, the message and everything else. But when it came to civil rights, it was something they couldn't digest. Mm. And uh, that, that was a pity because... You know, up to then, Le Mas and uh, O'Neill were trying to make a headway in peace uh, for our country. And um, it was described by one man, I believe, and that was Ian Paisley. Now, the Paisleyites, when we sang in Ballymena, in the Ballymena Town Hall for the the Irish Folk Song Society uh, of... Uh, right in the heart of Paisley country, like. The, yeah, they were outside, outside the door singing hymns. And with big signs, no Republican bands here. 
Yeah, I let you there and you played to a packed house. Mick Nugent says many great nights with the Wolf Tones at the Arcadia on the Lower Road. Um, Eric says, please tell Mr. Warfield I'm a huge fan and look forward to seeing the Wolf Tones play soon. Maria says, I don't think the Wolf Tones should have to change any of their music. We should always respect freedom of speech. I need to, to go because I'm running out of time, Brian. I like what you say though and I like the way you've put it. You're not a historian. You're not a politician. You're a folklorist. And, and you're That's right. Exactly and, what I am. All right. Listen, it's been a pleasure to talk and I'm glad we could have a nice measured conversation and we will speak again. Brian Warfield, uh, the man who wrote Celtic Symphony on the road now 60 years with the Wolf Tones. Love them or hate them, they are part of our Irish culture and I would have seen them and had the pleasure of DJing after them and just gone to see them just see the show more than 20 times in in my in my few years on this planet and always have enjoyed them oh 0818 96 96 96 uh, Maria we should always respect freedom of speech freedom of music freedom of song and there are many countries the world over who have expressed their history and told their story in song and sometimes it's better done in song better done in music because music is a universal language and with that thought we shall leave you. Program edited by Fergal Barry, produced and researched by Richard Vickery. We'll put all your podcasts up shortly. Thank you for joining the conversation in whatever way you did. And we'll talk to you tomorrow just after nine. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Live. With Hidden Hearing, changing lives with the latest hearing health technology. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Corks 96 FM. Do you want to save money on your energy bills? JFW Renewables is one of Ireland's leading solar PV companies, installing on households, businesses and farms nationwide. JFW Renewables offer 0% VAT on residential installations with tailored systems to suit your needs and grants available. And, most importantly, money saved on your energy bills. Your solar energy specialist. See jfwrenewables.ie. Your voice matters and your vote is important. Local authorities are updating the electoral register and it's your responsibility to ensure that your details are current and correct. Even if you're already registered to vote, now is the time to check and either confirm or update your details by providing your PPSN, air code and date of birth. To have your say on shaping Ireland's future, you must be on the electoral register. Checking is easy. Simply go to checktheregister.ie. The easy way to secure your say. Brought to you by the Government of Ireland. Listen to Cork's 96FM this Thursday, Friday and Saturday for your chance to win with Harvey Norman. We've got a special JBL sound pack to give away, including earbuds, a party box and wireless speaker. Keep it on Cork's 96FM. Identify the summer song and you could be a winner. Celebrating the summer with Harvey Norman and JBL, your specialists in sound this summer. Only on Cork's 96FM. At B&Q, get three for two on coloured emulsion, including paint mixing, and four for three on laminate and luxury vinyl click flooring. Shop in-store or at DIY.ie. You can do it when you B&Q it.
Exclusions and terms and conditions apply. Ends 21st of August. For full details, see DIY.ie. Matter Private Network Cork is Ireland's fastest growing private hospital, providing expert care for patients. If you'd like to join our team of specialist nurses, come to our open recruitment morning from 9am to 1pm on Saturday, August 26th. We welcome applications from graduates to experienced nursing staff specialising in theatre, cath lab, anaesthetics and recovery, CCU, cardiology and endoscopy. We're also inviting applications for clinical nurse managers. You'll have an opportunity to interview for open roles on the day. For more details, imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.